Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to uh, Tone Talk with Dave and Mark. It's episode 77 with a third timer. We've got a three-time guest, John Sir. Uh, how are you, John? I'm good, and you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Great to have you on again. It's awesome. Dave, what's going on? I don't know. Nothing's going on. Had one of my employees come back today after being out with COVID. That's interesting. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, Is he all right? Good. Yeah, he's fine. He, uh, yeah, he's great. So, did, did he feel it? Nah, he, he, he pretty much had like one or two days of like kind of feeling like he had the flu and then it was over with. You know, then he just started feeling better and better. You know, lucky so, dog. Yeah, no, he, he, he did good. And then, and then he, he's been retested and he's negative and, and he has been tested for antibodies too. And he has antibodies. So, well, that's good. Yeah. I know, I know someone who tested positive showed absolutely zero symptoms. And for two months, he tested positive and he's still testing positive, but he's got no symptoms. And then you go, I guess the CDC says that you're free to hang out with other people at that point. And they, I think they say that they, you'll test positive because they, the remnants or the, the dead cells are still there. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, um, that's what they say. So, yeah. So yeah, evidently you can't, if you have no symptoms and you, after, uh, you know, after being diagnosed after the 10 days or whatever they call it, as long as you don't have any ongoing symptoms, you're not contagious anymore. Yeah. So I don't know. Who knows? No one knows anything. <laughs> uh, I do know that, that it's it's kind of screwing up the supply chain, though. So, I mean, it's funny. Funny enough, everybody says that sales are, are are not hindered at all. So, I guess the people that buy our stuff are not are still in good shape and not losing their jobs, which is great. But, right. um, but you know, our supply chain people don't realize that the supply chain changes, and unfortunately, there's other people in areas that are really affected, like. You know, somebody's in LA, and which is obviously where you are, Dave. Do they shut everything down, or they tell people that they have to shut down? No, the only thing that's shut, no, nothing's shut down except for uh, hair salons, churches, um, restaurants for indoor dining, um, and that's, I mean, school. Well, most schools in LA County aren't aren't in session. They're in session online. Um, so, no, everything else is pretty well open. I mean, I don't know of anything else that's really closed. Um, so wear, wear a mask, wash your hands. Yep. Yeah, we all do. It's not and fun either in this heat. And try not to, you know, go out that much for stupid reasons, you know. <clears throat> you know only, only essential things, like, you know. The six pack of beer or uh, <laughs> the grocery store. Yeah. So, so do we have questions from the audience, or, or are we just going to? Uh, we we have questions um, that uh, that people have already asked us um, that I have from Facebook. We also have some stuff that you mentioned earlier, John, that we can go through. So basically, everybody, the the, the gist of the show is frequently asked questions um, that John and Dave typically get and probably other people get in the industry. Or ask them. 
Right. So uh, I guess a couple of frequently asked questions. Dave, when's the uh, twin sister coming out? Jesus. <laughs> the first. <laughs> September 1st. It's, I already, it's already shipping. And in fact, people have already violated it and shipped amps to people. So, you know. I saw that. Early. Release date is the first. Apparently, you can't control everyone. I saw that already. I saw somebody on Facebook post yeah. there. I was yeah. like, yeah, unreal. Okay. It's fine. You know what? I, I come to realize that every time you set the release date, someone always jumps the gun by a week. If they get it or in the door early, oh, let's get this out. Boom, done. <laughs> so. Yeah. You can get mad at them, but they do it again anyway. But the dealer's releasing it early? Yeah. I mean, technically, we have a release date for an, you know a product, generally. And the dealers, even if they get it in stock, you know, we start <coughs> shipping within the month before the release date. So if the dealers are supposed to wait before they can ship it. But that somehow gets lost in translation a lot. So. <laughs> so what is the twin sister? Two dirty Shirley amps in the, in one box. So it's duplicate channels. Yeah. So it's fun. <laughs> yeah, I want to get my hand on one, I think. Yeah, um so we've got a question. Oh, is that my phone? Jeez. Uh Question for Dave and John. Does it? This is from L. Scott Music. Does it bother you when big commercial companies copy clone your stuff? And should we call them fautique? <clears throat> big companies clone? Do you, do you have a do you have an exact thing you're talking about? Because I'm not really sure. I can't really think of anything that's been cloned of mine. Okay. Uh, John, you? Oh, wait. There was one with you. Me? Diamond. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That was a weird one. That was a weird one. That that definitely pissed me off. Um, what was this? I don't even think I'm aware of it. A long time ago. I mean, Diamond and I pretty much buried the hatchet. Um, now we're friends again. But there was a period when he wanted me to design an amplifier for him. He's an attorney, though. Maybe he's going to sue me for saying anything. <laughs> he uh, wanted me to design an amplifier for him. And I, I, I was misunderstanding, thinking that he was talking about a signature amp for him or what it was. But he's he was an attorney and he played. But. I'm like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And he, so he said, no, I want you to design a whole amplifier for me so I can put my name on it and sell it. And I was like, yeah, I don't see the benefit there for me. Um, so a period of time passed, and uh, I got a call from my board manufacturer who said, hey, hey we got this uh, circuit here, and somebody's asked us to lay, lay out the PC board and we said, sure, we could do that for you, uh, but where would you like the parts? And they said, well, just use all the parts placement for the custom audio OD100. And I was like, what? <laughs> was, 
that he goes, yeah, the guy gave us a schematic. It's pretty much your amp. And so it, it, it turned into a little bit of a shit show for a while. And uh, Bradshaw was kind of taken by surprise too. He found boards in the shop that looked like OD 100 boards, but they weren't. And I called him and I started screaming at him and he goes, I know, I know. He goes, I'm mad too. <laughs> oh. uh, just uh, one of our employees uh, decided to help Jeff um, or Jeff approached the employee to help him and they wound up pretty much using my amp. And, you know, it's a lot of people have this attitude that, well, you know, your amp's not that different than a JCM 800 is not that different than a Plexi is not that different than a Soldano is not that, you know, it's, but Dave, Dave and I know most people probably don't realize this, but a schematic is part of the, the deal, but it's not everything. Parts placement is going to be a lot that's going to determine how parts interact with each other, what problems you're going to have, what problems you're not going to have, capacitance, um, voltages, you know, things that might not be on a schematic. But when somebody just goes right down your throat and, you know, does, I mean, I literally measured parts and they were in the exact same place. Because oh, the, the board manufacturer refused to do it for him after talking to me. And so I guess they had somebody else do it. But, you know, and Diamond had that attitude that, well, it's not that different than a Marshall. It's not that different than this. And it's, you know, the circuit's one thing, but at least do your own board layout, you know, because that's, that, it's art. That's that's part of the art, you know. And, and so you've got to do some homework here and at least figure out why everything works together and where it needs to be and, and um, but the, the way I got shocked by it is I had a customer who said he bought one because they gave him a killer deal. So he bought one. Are they, are they still even in business with amps? I don't, I don't think so. And so, so he said, uh, could you, he goes, they gave me this one real super cheap. Could you, could you make it close to my OD 100? And I was like, I'm real curious. I'll, I'll uh, do it for free just to look at it. And I only had to change like six parts and I didn't have to change locations of anything. I just had to pull out a part and put another one in. Mm -hmm. So it, it was, uh, yeah, that kind of bugged me. You know, the other thing I could think about is the, the reactive load thing. It's not like the most unique idea in the world, but it does seem like once I started doing it, the big companies piled in. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that kind of bugs me though is they don't do a real impedance curve, most of them. <clears throat> and the main reason is, is because of the, the extra parts needed, the cost, the size. You can't really do a proper reactive load in a small box. It's probably going to be a U-shaped curve, which is going to affect your frequency response. It's going to have different interactions, a different feel. But it's, but it's billed as a reactive load. So I, you know, one thing I just want people to understand is that every reactive load is going to be different. And it's going to be the designer's take on what he's going for. Um, but uh, there is uh, the U-shaped curves kind of scare me because they apply, they give the amp a load that the amp is not used to seeing. And I've, I've talked to, I've talked to Germino. I've talked to even Bruce Egnator uh, really didn't like some of these loads. He's like, oh, that, that scares me. Uh, Jermino said, no way. Um, I, I think the guy from Wizard also says, no way. So, you know, that's kind of, it, that kind of gives reactive loads a bad, 
I don't know, it gives them a bad name also. You know, it's like, yeah. so. Anyway, are there, are there particular loads that you're thinking thinking about that are being I, don't, I don't want to name names. You know, we're all friends in this industry. And, yeah. and, and um, you know, most of these guys making, I'll, I'll tell you the loads that I, I would feel okay putting on my amp. Um, I would be fine with putting the Fryette load on my amp. Mm -hmm. um, it's a different, it's not, it's not the same as my load. It doesn't do the exact same thing, but it, it's safe. So I would feel fine with that. I would, I'm sure Fractal did it correctly. I'm sure anything Randall Aiken does, but he doesn't make a reactive load, but he kind of wrote the book. He kind of wrote a paper on how to do it. He left out a lot of things that people need to know, but he, you know, Rand Randall knows what he's doing. He also was not comfortable with U-shape uh, impedance curves on big wattage amps. So, but yeah, and then and then some of the other ones are just uh, uh, basically a resistive load with just a little high frequency uh, bump at the top. Yeah, um, well, they're they're still reactive, you know, like the Palmer yeah. and stuff, you know. So they're safe. I, I think the Palmer is is fine. It it just does the high um, the high part of the curve. Yeah, the UA too is a high part of yeah. the curve, and yeah, it's, but some some you know they 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 all have this U shape. This it's funny. I look at myself. I'm going backwards in the screen, but they all have this U shape uh, curve. But some of them can look like this. You know, and, and some of them can just be gradual. So the more gradual ones are obviously sticking down to the to the primary impedance. Let's say it's eight ohms. They're sticking down at those lower frequencies. But some of them will shoot up to like two hundred ohms. So, and and that's everything like under seventy hertz, which is really kind of unloads your amp at that frequency. And it's you know, then I've seen the argument. Well, you know, an impedance curve. On a speaker, if you go by the book, it, it can be extremely high too, and it comes back down, and then it goes back up. But that's usually not in a cabinet. So people are saying, "Oh, well, this goes to 200 ohms," you know, according to their spec sheet. And it's like, "Yeah, we'll put it in a cabinet. It goes to about 60 ohms." You know, it's it's got to have some damping there in the cabinet. Nobody runs the speaker sitting on the carpet. So. And that um, the bandwidth of that uh, resonant peak, uh, which is usually, let's say, around 70 to 100 hertz, you know, that resonance of the speaker combined with the cabinet, that bandwidth is so narrow. So it's, it's very, it's for a very short period of the frequency that it's sitting at 100 ohms or so, whereas these others will go way up there. So all that low end energy, which is really where... Uh, I just think it's a it's a little scary, you know. You got to consider flyback voltages, and to me, it's like little rats eating at the insulation on your transformer. Mm. You know, it, it might work fine for a year, it might work fine for two years, but in three years, it, that transformer might be toast. And also, some transformers like Marshalls are extremely, especially the newer Marshalls, and I'm sure Dave will agree, the newer Marshalls are like fragile. You look at them wrong, and they just blow. You know, you, you use a bad cable and they'll you'll pop a transformer. Yeah, the transformers aren't exactly the most uh, <laughs> robust things in the world, right? Yeah. But now, yeah, one guy replaced three of them to find out it was his own speaker cable that was causing the issue. It looked like a two-year-old made it. Yeah, I mean, um, we we I mean, we never have output transformers issues. Yeah. Um, the funny thing, though, recently. And I still wonder what the heck this person's doing with it. 
recently in Australia, we had 200 watt output transformer failures. And I honestly only know of one other output transformer failure, 100 watt ever. And what was he using for a load? Supposedly just a cabinet, but you know, I'm like, and it was two different people, but, and I'm like, I want to see these transformers. Are they really blown or is the tech saying they're blown? I, I think it also depends on how somebody runs. You know, if they have the problem with the reactive load, I think it's going to be the guy who's running a master volume and has got it on three. He's, you know, he could he could probably almost do no load. <laughs> he won't yeah, have a problem. Yeah, yeah, it won't be a problem. No. I mean, I, I had that app with Red Beach. He went out on tour, and uh, he came back at the end of the tour, and he was talking to me about his amp, and he was just using the line out. And he didn't have anything plugged into the speaker. And I said, but Reb, the speaker's still working. I said, there's it doesn't disconnect the speaker. And but I and it was a Marshall, but yeah. I went through it and it was fine. And, and it was probably because he was just running the master at a fairly low volume and just using it as a big preamp. But uh I did have one guy who was uh my SL68, I think is is pretty bulletproof. I mean, it's it's pretty industrial. Um, and I had one guy pop three sets of tubes, one guy, and it turned out to be that he was running it at full power, which I probably would have told him, if you're going to run the amp dimed, use the low power mode. It's just going to be nicer for the voltages inside the amp. And, but he was running it at full power, and he was uh, running it dimed. And uh, he popped three sets of output tubes, but it turned out he was using one of the devices with a U-shaped curve. Mm. Oh. Hey, yeah. uh, speaking speaking of this too uh, and i'll bring this up because it comes up a bunch of times mm-hmm. uh when people uh email me they ask me hey you know uh my my amp uh, wasn't plugged into the speaker cabinet for for um for like two hours i wasn't even in the room i just had left it and it, or it got turned on i'm like going don't worry about it it's not an issue because if you're not playing through the amplifier, you don't have to have anything plugged into it. It's not going to hurt anything. Uh, it's it's with you playing through the amplifier is what's going to cause damage. Um, and frankly, also, like you just said, John, uh, if you're playing super, super low volume, even if you your speaker cable came unplugged or something, if the amp's still working and nothing blew and there's no fuses blown, amp's fine. Yeah, you're not going to reach those flyback voltages yeah. there. Your, your amp's fine. I mean, it, you know, frankly, even if you cranked it for a second and just tapped the string, realized there's no speaker cable, chances are you're going to be okay too. But, um, the, but that is point point there, though. I do advise if you tap the strings and don't hear anything, don't keep playing. Correct. <laughs> correct. Don't keep playing. But don't be afraid if your amp was on and you weren't playing through it. Don't be afraid. It's yeah. okay. If a brief second you didn't have the load there and you realized it and fixed it and the amp's working just fine it sounds fine there's nothing wrong with it you're you're good right. to go you'll know because it'll you know might arc a, a probably the first thing that happened was arc a tube um or something. I, know another, I know another one that pops up often is people ask and then i have to get to some super chats people ask oh i left my amp on all night um, you know, even if it's plugged into uh, a cabinet, 
you know, oh, I left it on all night. I forgot. It's going to be fine. It's well, going to be fine. Yeah, you know, it, it should be fine. It should and, be fine. You know, um, it was, was it built by a company that actually does testing and CE and all that? Yeah. Right, right, right. True. Nothing should catch fire. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, you, you without playing through it, you're not even, you know, we burn in amps 24 hours at our shop with signal going through them and stuff. So, mm, yeah, I don't, it's not, it's going to be okay. Yeah, I usually turn them off during the night just because <laughs> I'm paranoid. Yeah, well, um, no, I I've left it on by accident. Uh, we yeah. leave them, but we leave it in a way that uh, there's some fail safes on there, and they're not on something that can catch fire or anything. <laughs> right. And that's frankly, if anything happens, generally the fuse just pops anyway. Well, that's all. That's all at Abby's place anyway, right? Yeah. So, yeah, and, and, and frankly, I don't know if you'll care if it burns down or not. <laughs> I have insurance. <laughs> the, the, the only other thing I can think of, Mark, uh, back to that guy's question is, you know, some people give me, you know, like, oh, well, now Ibanez is making a Sir Modern kind of thing. And, mm. and Fender is definitely leaning towards a lot of our product. Um, but funny enough, the um, I think he's the VP of product. VP product manager is a dear old friend of mine who I used to live with in the same duplex when I worked with Bradshaw and um, Joey Brasley. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's, it's so what, you know, I, I, I step on their toes. They step on my toes. It's a fair game. I, I think healthy competition is fine. Um, it's just, sometimes you, you kind of come up with something that you think is a little special. It'd be nice if people would stay away from it for a little while, but. Right. Right. You know, I, I can't, I've, I've never been in about it. I don't think it's about the specific shape anyway. Um, to me, it's more like the execution. Mm -hmm. So exactly. Uh, Cliff LeBlanc says, why does sir not have a P base variant in its product line? Um, talk to me after January. Hey. That, and that was also after the NAM show. Oh wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> but that was another question that we had in the, um, which is for, more for Dave, which was, you know, why don't you make a bass amp? Yeah, uh, your watt tube, all tube, like I get. Yeah, no, eight six L sixes in there. Sure, just you know, yeah, just just like the base four hundred. <laughs> wait, how many did that have? The boogie. This is. 12 was it i think it was 12 really yeah wow. think those things were like 100 pounds too it was 12 i remember asking um my tube supplier can i have a a, a match set of 12 <laughs> and uh he did it the funny thing is the, the funny thing that amp loved if you put jj6l6s in it with JJ preamp tubes, for some reason, it just made that amp come alive, and it would sound amazing. I did that for Billy Howardell. Um, he has one, and he's used it for years that way, and it, it really remarkably sounds great when you after you do that. Two bass amps are, are awesome, but you know, funny enough, I got uh, John Button, who's playing with uh, the Who, and he's got a P bass. <laughs> segue there, there um, <laughs> he, um he uses a badger with the who 
Yeah, for the grit, grit stuff. Yeah, 18 watt. He uses 18 watts and he just loves it for certain tunes because he just says it gives him that end twistle thing and hmm. just uses his P bass with the badger and he's got that he's got that gain. Right. He, he was asking me to like re I said you could just reamp it. You know, it's just yeah. it's do a big thing if you need to. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, Peter Urban has a question. Thanks for the show. Question. Some amp builders say the power tubes make the flavor of the sound. Morgan, others say the PT, the power transformer, doesn't matter as much. Please elaborate. Thanks. Stay safe, y'all. You want to go first, Dave, or me? <laughs> uh, power tube. Well, I mean, the power tubes don't make the sound per se. It, it, they flavor the sound sometimes um, like an EL 34 and a 606 sound different, but not as different as you think. Uh, people have this idea that they're radically different. And, uh, and honestly, I could retube two of my amps, one with say 5881 power tubes, one with EL 34s. And if you had an amp switcher and you're going between the two amps and you dial them in slightly differently, you'd have a hard time figuring out which was which. Um, yes, there is some difference. Um, uh, power transformer doesn't make a difference or not. Well, voltages make a difference for sure. Current makes a difference on the power transformer, how it reacts. Um, you know, the funny thing is more so than any of these things mentioned, your speakers probably make the biggest difference. Uh, you know, the kind of speakers, the brand, well, Celestian variant, pick pick one. They all sound radically different. Probably way more than tubes, way more than output transformers, way more than anything. I would say, though, in an amp, an output transformer makes a difference for sure, uh, um, but not as big as the speakers still. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think I would disagree with any of that. Um, the tubes don't have a tone by themselves, but their their impedances and the way they interact with the with the impedances of what the output transformer is being loaded with along is going to change. I mean, people need to understand that whatever your and this is the reason the reactive loads all sound different is because whatever your your secondary of your output transformer is being loaded with gets reflected back to the primary and it changes the impedances on the primary. So how the tube reacts with the with the output transformer is going to be part of the tone but the tube itself yeah i agree not so much it's like i, I see people talk about oh poo poo on the 6v6 and the 6v6 is a glorious sounding tube i mean it can be that magic world in between a in between the reaction of a 6l6 with the output transformer compared to an el34 i mean because like when you listen to an el34 versus a 6l6 in the same amp you're you're definitely going to think that the EL34 has got more mids. It's got a little different bass to it. But again, that's the interaction with the circuit and the voltages and everything else going on. It's not like the tube has a tone. Um, I mean, look at the Soldano. I mean, nobody would ever think that the Soldano was using 5881s back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, it just sounded like a Marshall. Um, yeah. But of course, Marshall used 5881s at certain points too because... I remember that dark time. <laughs> back in the old days too. 
the dark mm-hmm. time when when Germany L-34s ran out and you didn't really have an alternative because there weren't weren't any other things. Yeah. Now, the power transformer has impedances, too, which can affect the stiffness of the amp and how much filtering you need. But, yeah, I would definitely say that your speakers and your fingers are the two most important things. Exactly. Cool. Uh, we got a super chat from Vinis- Viniscus Rosa. Um, he forgot to put his question in the super chat, but it was typed to me from BV. Uh, thanks, BV, by the way. Uh, so he says, John and David, what are the Variac specs needed to use with a cranked Marshall Plexi? There's millions of Variac models available, but no info about this. Well, you just need like a five amp Variac, roughly. Um, just the standard, um, yeah, the cool ones now, they, they, uh, the ch- little Chinese variacs that are available now, they have the digital readout on them now instead of the old, you know, the old little um, needle one. Uh, that's super handy. Because <laughs> the needle one, you're always looking at it going, eh, what does that say? You got to put your meter on it. <laughs> yeah, you got to put your meter on it. And but- I, tried, I bought one recently and, you know, it's only like $70 or something. And I uh, I checked it with the meter too to see how accurate it was, and it was within a volt. Hmm. It was, it was yeah. I, my 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 two variax good variax lasts forever. Mine mine is surplus. I think I got maybe I got one at uh, Apex, but uh, they're funny enough. I bought them in different periods, and they're both the same. They've got an amp meter. It's nice to have an amp meter on there, hmm. um, just to see if you got any issues going on. It's a it's a diagnostic tool is what we usually use those for. Yeah. But the, the one thing I'll, I, I, I really, in, unless you've got a plexi, you got to be careful. Make sure that there's no voltage regulators in your amp. Make sure your amp uh, can run at a lower voltage. Um, and I definitely recommend biasing it just because it'll, it'll sound kind of pretty nasty without it. Yeah, bias to the very act if you're going to use it at 90. And it's ideally suited for the old amps, the old Marshalls and things. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't go much below 90. I don't think you want to go much below 5 volts on the heaters. Um, there, there's some A little bit of that reduced voltage actually improves the tube and, and improves its performance over a period of time. Like I think I think it – I can't remember. It's actually listed in the Radiotron book. But I think I, think I figured it out once it was uh, – I think it was like five, about five. I think. Yeah. Was was a, was the good safe area where actually you're increasing the life of the tube. Hmm. Don't okay. go turning it up. No. Um, and it's also good if you've got a vintage amp like a a vintage super. Um, typically, our voltages around here run high, so those amps are usually designed for like one ten or. You know, look at what the amp was originally marked at. Mm-hmm. So if it's 115 or 110, use the Variac to bring you down there. You also got the brown box that's available too, which which will do that uh, really well and it has an amp meter in it also. So is there is is that the same thing as a Variac or is yeah, basically, uh, kind of. I mean, it doesn't go to you know, it's not if you want to go down to 90 volts, that's kind of an issue. If you want to correct wall voltage the brown box is cool uh you know if you want to for the 110 amp and stuff yeah that'd be great hey dave can you turn your vote your mic up a little bit i was told you're a little low i'm a little low 
Just a little. Okay. Uh, Raise your seat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, let me hear you, Dave. It's the same as, as it always is for every it's show. Good. It's good. Maybe you guys are uh, too loud. Alex B., John and Dave, can you each share what three specific amps you would have as part of your dream amp collection? Thanks for the super chat. Okay. Me first. Can they be ours or something else? <laughs> I can be uh, dream amps. Your whatever. dream amp, whatever, whatever it is. Whether it's Gosh, you know, I'm I'm pretty happy. Uh, I, I love my Hedgehog. I like the PT-15 a lot and um, uh, SL-68, and I have a hard time choosing which one I want to play. Um, I, I really don't have a need for anything. I've, I've owned all the old stuff. Um, I used to have a Jose Arredondo modded Plexi, which was the stupidest thing I ever did because it was an awesome amp, yeah. and it was never the same. Um so that was a bucket list amp, but you know what? The, those amps can have a lot of problems too. So I don't want to spend my free time rebuilding it. Um, the only other bucket list amp I got uh, is not for guitar. It's for my stereo. I got an old Mac 240 and I just have to rebuild it. So that that's one of my bucket list amps you I don't should, have. You should find someone that does that and just have I, them do it because <laughs> you'll never do it. <laughs> That's what you said about my pedal board. <laughs> well, I'm doing your pedal board. What did you but didn't didn't the pedal board take like like five years or so to even get to me? No, no yeah, I, yeah, you're just starting to talk about that years ago. <laughs> uh the, yeah. the the other amp that I have that I really is a bucket list amp I really like is I have a black face super reverb. And um, oh, I want that. It's got original old Jensen's in it. In fact, Landau wanted to buy the Jensen's, so that right there said, "No, I'm keeping yeah, them." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, that that's a glorious sounding amp. Um, I've got a couple of uh, Sterling Balls uh, Deluxes up here in my room. I rebuilt for them. They're nice little amps, but you know what? I I, I like my amps. You know, so I really, honestly, I have not plugged into my Super in a couple of years, and. Uh, and I've got a modded Marshall that sits in my shop, but that's about it. What's going on with the Ombre? What do you mean? Is that out? Oh, yeah. Yeah? It's actually our simplest and probably one of our hottest selling amps. It's uh, what the Ombre. Okay, the Ombre is a bucket list amp because I had a friend um, who sold me. Uh, I got ants up here. I got a friend who sold me a, a junior. He, he Poor guy wound up with a stroke. And so he couldn't play his junior anymore. So I bought the junior for a real sweet price. And then he said, I got this brown fender amp here too. And um, I'm like, okay, um, which one is it? And it turned out to be the brown deluxe. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll take it. I mean, he wanted 1500 bucks for it. I'm like, I'll take it. He goes, it doesn't work. And I'm like, it's all right. I'll take a chance. And uh, that's just a glorious sounding little amp. And I'm pretty convinced that that is um, the amp that Billy Gibbons used for a lot of the, a lot of the tracks on the first three albums. Um, but that, that's a great little, but all I set out to do with this is those amps are usually around 3,500 bucks, I think on the used market. And I just thought it was a crying shame because it's such a beautiful little amp that uh, 
there should be a more modern, more easily obtainable, reliable one that didn't need to be rebuilt. And, um, but yeah, mine, mine, it <laughs> turned out that the only thing wrong with mine was the power switch. Everything else was stock. <laughs> it, it came with a JBL, which I haven't listened to. It came with a Fender JBL. The Ooh. guy must have ordered that. So that's rough, generally. Yeah, yeah. I I haven't plugged into that speaker. Yeah, but I, I hear they're worth money too. So maybe I'll sell that. Those are worth money for sure, for sure. Yeah. So the oh. bucket list for me, I already pretty much own. Uh, so I I have a, a sixty-eight Plexi fifty watt Marshall that I've had for years that you worked on John years ago. Yeah. I remember. Uh, you replaced the first tube socket. I remember. Um, and I think I did the, I think I put the uh, Van Halen cap in there or something. Uh, no, that was already in it. Um, that was already, in, no, you worked on a whole bunch of amps back then okay. uh, for me over time. So yeah, you probably did that on a few other ones, but uh, the, that one I still have. It's behind me actually in the top. It's, great i uh have a uh, uh copper top vox ac30 that i actually reacquired from tim pierce because i years ago i sold it to him and he was nice enough to uh get it back to me and um uh, it was a samson modded top boost copper top ac30 killer amp uh, also have a, a black faced basement head. That is a great amp that I love. And, um, let's see. I have a, another, I have a hundred watt Marshall tube stock, not, you know, four input Marshall that I acquired at a price. I couldn't refuse. <laughs> and, uh, a Jose Arredondo modded Marshall that sits behind me also that I recently acquired because, well, I couldn't pass up the price. And, um, and I have a high watt PA head, which now is a DR 504 circuit. Um, so it's a, the high watt. So I'm covered. I don't really, I would love Although to, have... I would like to have a super reverb to be honest. I was going to say, you don't really have like anything fenderish. No. Well, I know I have a blackface fender, um, basement head. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, but uh, I wouldn't. I would like the super reverb. I'd, I'd like a Coliseum, a Sun Coliseum, just because I heard Leslie West did Mississippi Queen with that. Mm. But I'm sure it had nothing to do with the amp. It was probably because the speakers were crying bloody murder and being pushed right out of the cabinet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and for me, I've already got. I don't have vintage amps, but I've got Friedman's. I've got the Synergy stuff, which is awesome. Um, I, I'm pretty well served with amps, although the Twin Sisters is probably next for me. Hey, I got modelers. I don't need any other amps. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I got my Kemper sitting right here. Got uh, sounds, here. sounds just the same. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can go down that rabbit hole. Um, okay, we, we actually have a couple of super chats that I don't want to forget. Okay. Zach Garth. Uh, thank you for your super chat. Do new guitars need to be broken in or will a guitar sound and feel the same in week one as it will in week 52? That's, that's a real difficult one to prove. Um, 
I know Tom Anderson thinks that the guitars open up and breathe more over time. Um, I I had had a patent applied for with a method to measure vibrations of wood, and uh, I kind of it wasn't I never got the patent because it wasn't unique enough. But the the way I did it I thought was pretty unique because it was it was this thing called a solid drive. And they are designed to put on like a plate glass window or something and turn it into a speaker. If you actually run signal through this thing and lift it up into the air, you won't hear anything. And as soon as you put it on the surface, the surface becomes a speaker. So along with that, I put accelerometers all over the guitar. And I tried to come up with some sort of measurement that would show that vibrating they would long enough would affect the frequency response or the vibration of the wood. And I had a real hard time proving it. So I'd say not as much as speakers, but you know, it's, um, I, I think that you become accustomed to the guitar and you learn how to play that guitar and get what you want out of it. And then I think that it naturally feels better to you. I mean, it's it's like, I think for me, it's like with anything foreign, you know, you pick up an SG and you don't know what's going on with that. And then you play it for a couple months and wow, this thing sounds pretty good. Well, you know, you might just be getting used to it. I, I don't, I don't believe in wood has to, or guitars have to be old to sound good. I do not believe that because I, I've, I've been in situations like where Scott Henderson, he, he's taken, Scott's got dog ears. I mean, if I, if you wanted to say who's my customer, who's got the most particular set of requirements for what he hears, it's like he hears things that, that nobody else hears, but he can prove it. He's right. So he's done this AV with vintage strats and, and his signature model. And he, he goes, there's no difference. Mm. So I, I just have to believe him. And um, I mean, all guitars sound different, but it's, Again, it's we're you know being honest we're we're kind of picking hairs. I mean, and that's the joke about the modelers. It's like for music, they're probably extremely close. But if you're the guy who's sitting in a room playing the amp for enjoyment, I think that's when you hear those kind of differences the most. You're not going to hear it in a track, you know. Right. Pete P- Thorne and I were talking about this the other day about PAFs or you know the. It's a plethora of $500 pickups out there, and they're really not all that different. It's. Um, oh, did he send you that video? Huh? Did he send you that video? Yeah, I think he did. I, I, I had an interesting comment about that. So I listened to that video, like probably a lot of people listen to it on their phone. <laughs> and when you listened on your phone, there was really subtle differences between all the pickups. Uh, I mean, on bigger speakers, you heard obviously more differences, but but they're all very similar. Yeah, I mean, because you know, to your point, Dave, it's like you change that speaker from a even from two speakers that are similar, like a V30 to a Vet30. I mean, yeah. there's there's a huge difference. Sure. And and it, it's just like pickups. Sometimes it's hard to pick out which one you like better. It's just they all sound a little bit different, but all in the track. I mean, all bets are off. So, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and also this guitar thing. I mean, I'll, probably a good chunk of my customers are using modelers. So when it comes down to differences, 
if you go totally organic with your system from beginning to end, like you take your guitar, you plug it straight into your amp with a cable. Don't put a pedal in front. Don't put a buffer in front. Just plug straight into your amp. Plug the amp straight into a cabinet. I think then you're going to start to hear different, more differences in the instrument. The more gain you use, the less difference you hear on the instrument, even though the distortion can make it easier to hear EQ differences. Yeah. Um, but the guitar, I think, becomes neutered. It's like I used to think that um, I used to have a Mark II C plus simul class back in the 80s. And it and I used to have EMGs in my guitar and they sounded fine through the boogie. But then when I got my Plexi Marshall, they just were all wrong. You know, it's a great pickup, but it did not sound good through a Plexi Marshall. For that, you needed a passive pickup. You know, you need to get back more to the roots. So I think if, if somebody's going like all modern and this kind of stuff, none of this is going to matter as much as they think. If if they're going, you know, no reverb, no delays, I'm just going to plug in the amp, then, yeah, you might start pick up nuances of, yeah. you know, these little things. But yeah. Plus, you know, it depends on how often you're playing that guitar. I mean, if you're playing the guitar for that year from day one and then you're gigging a shitload and over the time, the guitar is going to feel better to you. It's going to be more worn in. You get used to it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know if it's going to sound better, but it's certainly going to feel better to you. And you probably uh, make tweaks along the way with your action and your... Right. And, yeah. By the way, we've got like 400 people watching right now. Um, and I want to I want to thank everybody who's watching. Please put, press subscribe and click the bell if you can. Um, you guys know John Sir. Check out Sir Guitars and of course Friedman. So uh, we want to thank you for watching. Um, we got a bunch more questions. Uh, here's one from Chris Cam, and we'll get to more of the frequently asked questions because I've got some more of those lined up. Uh, Chris Cam, how has uh, COVID affected production and R and D for your companies? Has it in any way, way been helpful? With no NAM, what factors go into releasing new products? Good questions. Thanks, Chris. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, for for us, I mean, uh, it, well, we were closed for a little while. So um, that uh, greatly affected uh, production, obviously. Um, so basically what we have now is we have a huge back order. Um, because uh, we weren't making some stuff for a little while. It wasn't getting out. So we have all those orders, and then we have all the new orders stacked on top of that. So, uh, you know, it's <clears throat> it's created uh, a kind of a, a, a massive problem for back orders. So sorry, people, if you're not, you know, getting your stuff. It also delayed product releases. Um, but they're, you know, now they're coming out. Um and uh, and and some of our suppliers were shut down too. So, um, like we we had some transformer issues for a little bit, you know, getting our transformers. Um, that's all worked out now, kind of all back to normal. Um, so, yeah, as far as far as the Nam show or not Nam show, you know, to be honest, it doesn't the NAM show isn't making or breaking us selling our products. You know, it's like, it's yeah. Dealers come, but you know, most of the dealers, they come and buy products from you at the NAM show because they're there. They see the new products. They just look at them. Really. They don't play them. <laughs> um, maybe someone demos it for them. 
but they already kind of got a good grasp on what it is and they 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 okay yeah that that looks great i'll buy that i'll buy that i don't think i think we can do a great job with releasing great product videos that showcase the product and you know ship the you know and send these product videos to the dealers saying hey this is what we have new coming out and here's you know an in-depth look at it probably almost better to be honest you know because a nam is a huge expense a massive expense does that pay off in sales i don't think so mm -hmm. what about you john well um did he say something about r d yeah he did how, how did that affect r d i guess i should have answered that too i mean i think i, I i've spent more time at home um so i've actually kind of uh, you know, the funny thing is my R and D is kind of done on people asking me to do changes to products like Friedman products or mods to amps or things like that. And a lot of the R and D kind of gets done on, on that stuff. You know, it's like, Oh, I guess I could do that. And that would be cool. Well, that would be good in a product. Okay. That would be, you know, you just learn new things while you're just experimenting and playing with stuff. Um, so maybe I've done more of that now. Um, for for us, uh, you know, COVID's just horrible. I think the worst thing about COVID is one person dies and the next person is fine. It's it's yeah. it's just got everybody scared. Um, <clears throat> you know, we've got a hundred people, so it it's definitely scary for us. But so far knocking on wood, you know, we've been fine. Nobody's caught it. So the, of course, there's always scares. And then you tell people to stay home. And, and, um, but as far as, as, I mean, we were, we had a lot of people out too. Um, and we still have people working at home because uh, right now it's actually, I think California is in California, one of the worst states. Um, so things are, you know, we've got a lot of people who are ignoring things and they're going out to bars and then all of us are beaches. It's like, you know, we've got sermons on the beach where people ignore the masks. So I think we're paying for it. And um, but the, the big problem for us, uh, like Dave, is that it's pushed um, it's pushed us back a little bit. We do have a uh, I believe we have a notice on our blog so people can go there and read our official statement. But uh, basically, you know, if you've got something on order, like a custom instrument, you might have to wait another month, month and a half or so. Um, we've got, uh, you know, like we couldn't ship reactive loads because we were using a fan that happens to be used by the medical industry. Because um, it's nice, it's quiet, it doesn't make noise, and it's reliable. And <clears throat> so, the but the voltages that we're using and everything just, it turned out to be that it was a tremendous back order order in fact we're just starting to get fans in now we even had a guy offer to sell us the fan that we need and his price was 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 amazing so we wired him the money and he was in china and vapor he disappeared so okay so can you imagine people taking advantage of people looking for stuff for anyway um but it's uh it's it's kind of all it's, it's shown us which employees are really stepping up and are important. 
um, which is a, a good thing. But other than that, it's a real bad thing. Um, it's difficult to get cases, guitar cases, because they come from L.A. And I think that they had some problems. Or, or that manufacturer had some problems. Yeah, they were shut for a while. Yeah. And so and then they were also shutting down people in L.A., even if they didn't want to be closed. Um, so the supply chain has hurt us. Uh, it's, it's tough to get things. And, and it could be simple things like capacitors. It could be fans. It could be guitar cases. It could be just about anything that uh, isn't local. Yeah. Um, and also machine shops we use, uh, they wind up getting shut down or get people sick. And Dave, we actually share one guy, and I think he's been pretty slow lately. But um, Oh, Chapman? Yeah. And and I feel feel for that guy too because he's uh, he can't get sick. So no, he can't get sick. Although he has a lot of uh, inside information, you know, so to speak, that he's talked to me about a little bit. But um, he's always at the doctor. Yeah. yeah. But uh, what about R and D, John? That doesn't affect me there. It actually gave me more time. Um, it allowed me to uh, to address some some products um, that I'm working on and it, it actually gave my, my son is working on some crazy shit and it, it, he works up here. He, yeah, I just told him stay home and work on that. Cause he's got a program and it's easier for him to program in silence. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, working, I mean, like I, I set up a shop at, at my house. Um, Dave's making my pedal board. I'm making John's <laughs> pedal board. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Uh, which we still need a conversation on a couple little things that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Problem uh, is got too many choices of amps. Yes. Well, there's just a couple things on how to set up because I'm starting to wire. So I need to know. <laughs> yeah. um, just leave the wires long. <laughs> yeah. I can't do that. I gotta look neat. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I mean, you know, I set up a shop at home, so that's kind of nice. Actually, I kind of enjoy that. Um, so I work on people's amplifiers at home a lot of the times. I don't have to go in my shop. I don't have to be around anyone but my family, and it's actually sort of relaxing. <laughs> Until you got to fire it up. Uh, well, they, they don't care. Oh, really? Yeah, they don't care. Well, I mean, cool. I don't play it really loud, so it doesn't really matter. So, But, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we okay, can. Cool. Uh, Alex B, thanks for the super chat. Have you guys had any, uh, the chance to be in many Dumble amps? I know John has, I think Dave, you too. Are his amps truly special amps? This is definitely a frequently asked question. I'll tell you my opinion. Um, I like Alexander. Um, he's, um, it's funny we became friends when because uh, I, I used to be I'll be right back. I I uh, used to be into Glass Audio, which is, is a magazine, is a periodical that um, there's another one called Audio Amateur because I would, you know, back back when I was learning we we didn't have the internet, so uh, these periodicals would um, teach you how to build a stereo tube stereo for your home. And I would get into all this stuff, and I learned a lot from that, along with the old books. But uh, I was talking to Dumble, I think, at a trade show, and we were chatting for a little bit, and I mentioned one of the magazines, 
and he was extremely interested. He went from not being from he was, he went from being like he wanted to go somewhere else to to stopping and talking to me for a while. And we talked about these magazines, and I gave him all the information of of where he could get them. And he's just been my very good friend since. I even though I hardly ever talk to him, but when I do talk to him, he's been very nice. And he got some of my pickups for Santana once. Hmm. And um, we, uh, but as far as the, the amplifiers, yeah, there's Dumble's a smart man. Uh, are they magical? No, they, they're amplifiers. Um, I probably played uh, five or six dumbbells before I found one that I went, I, I, I could play this. This is, this is a nice amp. Um, and the funny enough, the guy, uh, it was Tom Rotella, I think is his name. He's a guitar player in, in LA and his amp was pretty cool. So uh, he didn't like it though. And so he, I was with Bradshaw and he goes, can I, would you guys swap one of those three plus preamps for my Dumble for my overdrive special? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> that sure. But sure, put my arm. And I mean, you know, there's just the, the amount of money we could have got for that amp even back then, oh. which I think was the mid nineties, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a circuit. It's it's uh it's it's not. There's nothing magical. Um, Dumble just does it right. Uh, one of the things I really uh, admire Alexander for is that grounds are everything to him. And his attitude is, if there's ground humming your amp, it's taking up space of your note. You don't want that yeah. there. Um, but you know, most of the things he does are just. Uh, he, I think he charges based upon how much he needs to make, not, you know, nothing else. It's, this is how much I need to make to stay in my house. And it's going to take me two months to build your amp, um, which is a nice luxury. Wow. But, you know, Dave and I know that, I mean, gosh, I've, I've had, he's probably on the chat. I've, I've had one guy's amp for years. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just because he's a friend and, he wanted a specific amp, and I said, well, I've got a PC board router in my shop, so if I really want to get crazy, I can lay out a whole PC board and cut it the same day. So that's what I did for him, but then I got to get around to building it and finding time to build it. And Yo, does I like? Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, along, and along with COVID, you know, it's kind of like, you're like, oh gosh, you know. And then we had a situation the other day where our air conditioning went out in the shop and our power went out. And I went into work on his amp and I'm like, okay, Joe, I'm going to finish it today. And then I get there and the power goes out two hours later. I'm letting this car climbing to 100 degrees. It's been like 115 in Lake Elsinore. Yeah. But, uh, but I probably have put more work into that amp than, than it would be building a Dumble for sure. It's just be so you know, you know, dumbbells are good. The thing about dumbbells is that no two are the same, and it doesn't matter what we're talking about the ultraphonics mods or or overdrive specials, they, they all share similarities. But, um, Dumble left himself places to tweak things for different players. So, what I don't like about the most overdrive specials is they usually only sound good 
with one guitar and one player. And, you know, because Dumble will sit there and listen to the way you play and he'll, he'll tweak the controls and he'll tweak his trimmers and he'll make changes based upon what he hears you doing. Yeah. But, but, but that's, but so if you go out and, I mean, I just think a Dumble is a terrible amp to go out and just buy and think that, Oh, I've got it. I've got the Dumble. No, you don't. The, the only way you've got a Dumble is if you go to Alexander and he happens to love you and he's willing to finish your shit and he he takes an interest in you, then you've got a Dumble amp because he's going to sit there and tweak it for you. And it's going to work with that guitar, with those pickups and that style of playing. But um, I think that a lot of times they only work in one area at least that's my opinion on them. i probably played i lukather's I, I hated lukather's lukather's was one of the old ones um maybe but i granted i i listened to it like in the early 90s you know maybe i'd like it now but back then i didn't care for it um the uh i think this this tom rotella one is the only one that i thought was pretty cool but i probably i probably heard uh played through maybe four or five more modern overdrive specials and i played through probably five or six ultraphonics and you know things like that uh, and yeah, you best, best one i ever heard was uh steve ferris he had a great one and uh but, but he, he didn't always use it though did he oh he didn't always use it but he but he was on the show uh and he talked about that he goes he goes i sat for weeks with him you know tweaking it and and to me, you know, and I and and when he played it, it sounded great, you know. But again, it's the player, you know. The the thing is, we we talked, we touched on that earlier. Speakers are a huge thing. Your 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 fingers, your hands, how you sound as a guitar player is radically different than how the next guy sounds as a guitar player. Um, so that amp being tweaked to your hands is a huge thing. It's everything. It's everything. So I mean, yeah. because I've had you know I've had people come in and try things that I know sound great, and literally you're staring at the amp. I've said this before. You're staring at the amp, looking at the guy, and going, "Did the amp break? Did 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 it just break? Because it sounds not good. I mean, like awful. Like, and then later you find out, no, it was just." how he touched this particular amp. It's how his hands, his touch, his thing. So it, this amp didn't work for him, obviously. Yeah, that, that's kind of like what the Hedgehog is. The Hedgehog's like a programmable blues master, but it's got things changed. So where I think that it feels better for me, the way I play, and I think it's more forgiving than than a full-blown dumble. Um but so, yeah, it, it's it's definitely it's everything with the player. I mean, I, I'm I'm I used to play boogies all the time. So when you play boogies and you have that big, you know, V notch in your EQ is the only way to get rid of some of the mids. And but even even still with that, with a boogie, you really had to learn how to control the bass in your pick because otherwise they were just too farty. So, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. interesting. Um, we have another super chat from Jose Benito Martinez Jr. Thanks for the super chat. Uh, question for Dave: Will there be a twin sister pedal? It's a good idea. Uh, well, there's a Dirty Shirley pedal. Um, 
I'll be right back. I need to get something to kill some of these ants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, could, is there going to be? Uh, uh, yeah, that's a good question. Not currently, but uh, that's a good, it's actually a good idea because you the do have the possibility exists. You got the, the B E D O B Deluxe. Yeah, the possibility exists. I don't. I we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, you already have the enclosure. Yeah, I do. Uh, um, and do pedals made with a preamp tube, like the Motor City Drive, have a sound that trumps the new pedals made today? Uh, uh, not necessarily. Um, a, a tube can be a great thing in a pedal, but you know the funny thing is, we've we've discontinued that pedal, so I guess not. <laughs> uh, the uh, it's a great sounding pedal, but uh, you know, frankly, a tube pedals don't sell very well notoriously uh for any company um so that's what we learned <laughs> okay um let me find the other question you want the ants crawling all over you john i don't even know where they're coming from my my desk is like really dark so it's like yeah. good luck finding them well ants are ingenious little creatures Oh, it's because it's, it's, it's like so hot. They, yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. Whenever it's hot, they come crawling in, and and they will find something. It could be the crumb somewhere. <laughs> They'll be uh, literally across the entire house, a row of ants going to this one crumb that they found. Into my dog dish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The dog dish. Yeah. Or the cat, Water. cat dish. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, you go and all of a sudden you see the the, the dish is moving. You're like, <laughs> shit. Okay. A <laughs> uh, much Bill Billy Wagner has a question. Um, he says M Hammonds question mark reverb has better coil and transformers. I hear Fender sourced these out in '66. Have you worked on these? And if so, are they as good as Hammonds? Wait, I'm a little confused. What he was yeah. asking. He's saying that the Fender outsourced Fender sourced these out in '66. M. Hammond's question: Reverb has better coil and transformers. I'm not I, sure. And we used no to use the, the Accutronics and stuff. To, I mean, there's a lot of tanks that sound different. You just got to find how many springs you like, the length of the tank. Um, yeah, it, it's funny. Uh, um, uh, Dave Grissom got a couple of Jim Kelly's that we made, which he really likes, and he had. We switched from a long tank to one that was really short and smooth because it just sounded more usable and really nice, and, and I really like it not not so sprongy. But he really liked the long tank, so we kind of went through a bunch of effort to find that for him, but. Other than that, to tell you the truth, I don't give uh, spring spring reverbs that much thought. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Nor nor do I. So. <laughs> I know you. I usually I usually turn them off because on stages they're problematic. Right. <sighs> Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Drummer has uh, a big drum, and all of a sudden. James Maurer, thanks for the super chat. Um, his was John and Dave. What are your thoughts on Tung Sol EL 34 B's and also their AX sevens and what spot to use them? 
I have them in all slots of my amp. Um, the Tungsol uh, EL34s are a really good tube, um, really robust. Um, they don't necessarily sound exactly like a traditional EL34. Um, meaning they're slightly more 6L6 sounding or 6CA7 sounding, sort of. Tungsol preamp tubes, um, well, you can't use them in every slot in your amp. Because they'll, in a typical uh, cathode follower, they'll just up and croak. Um, unless you have DC reference heaters. And uh, they sound pretty good. Not, um, they sound pretty good. I, I used to use them in the very first slot of the amp. They, they definitely have kind of a bright tone to them. The thing is, we don't have a lot of choices in preamp tubes right now. We are we are down to very I mean mostly Russian at this point. JJs are Russians because the the Chinese preamp tubes are maybe temporarily or maybe permanently gone. Hmm. Um, we don't really have an answer. No one has a straight answer on that. Um, along with all the Chinese power tubes, so uh, you know we have to find something else to use. So I actually have tried uh, Electro Harmonics has a new tube called the 7025 that they came out with, which isn't a variant. It, it's a totally different tube than the rest of their line. Um, and so far, I really like how that one sounds. Sounds sounds really good. Maybe just a touch. Actually, the Chinese tubes I was getting aren't were not the highest gain tubes in the world in recent times. Um, so these kind of fit right into the amount of gain that those had. So, uh, and they're low microphonics. You can use them everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's a good tube. What about you, John? I try to just stick with what I've got. I mean, I'm not a tube chaser or a tube roller, um, Right now, um, most of what we've got is the Chinese tube and the EH for the power tubes. And uh, we've used JJ in the past. We still use JJ preamp tubes in certain spots, only for like an effects loop or Low maybe a no gain here from the first slot. But I, I tend, I tend to stick with what seems reliable as long as it's reliable, and build the circuit around that. So. I guess the thing that bugs me is when people start talking about NOS tubes um, is, is I don't know what it's going to sound like. And and more times than not, those guys wind up with failed output tubes because they have went out and bought a, an NOS set. But as far as uh, – I usually ask Dave, what's reliable these days? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how you got the EHs, right? <laughs> yeah, and the EHs are working nice. So, um, you know, I, I won't – we buy a lot of tubes, but then we sit on them for a long time. So I think Dave goes through them quicker. Um, so I might wind up with old stock for quite a while. Um, so right now we're, we're just using Chinese, the Chinese uh, 12AX7s and sometimes the JJ. And we, we have them still and we still are using them currently, but, but and we are running out and there's not uh, any hope for more at the moment. So, um, 
I can only warranty my amps with the amps we ship them with. Um, if, if people want to change them out, then knock yourself out. But if you bend a pin or, or you know, do something, then uh, it's not a warranty issue. <laughs> you know, I have to say that the EH power tubes have turned out to be fantastic. Um, I, I mean, we ship a lot of amps and we use a lot of EL34. Rarely am I replacing any sets of EL34s, which is awesome. Yeah. I, mean, I, I would, since I do all the customer service, <laughs> uh, I would see it right away. You know, I would start seeing it right away. Um, and yeah, an occasional set, sure. That's, that's, that happens. But um, not like anything else I used before. I used to have to replace way more tubes before. Um, so those have panned out to be really, really strong. And they sound good, too. Okay, cool. Um, Michael Torin, thanks for the super chat. Hey, he said, What's that? I said, hey, Michael. Oh, okay. You know, Michael. I know, Michael. Any chance on a Sir Rack preamp? <laughs> if Bradshaw doesn't make it again. Uh, I, I, I think he's going to make... Uh, a long time ago, I sold Bob the preamp, and he sold me the amp. Um, both were my design, but we were just partners back then. So I'm not going to step on his toes right now. And right. if I did it, I think I'd rather make it programmable and smaller. And yeah, you know, you know, as far as um, interesting thing is, uh, how many people you, how many people out there would want a preamp? I'm, I'm kind of curious. Well, you know, it's, it's, is, it's, is it the time to do this again? It's, it's bigger than I thought. It's like, you know, yeah. you, you know, I, I guess you, you, Dave, you've of course seen our little MIDI box that we did. Yeah, and it, it started out to be that I had a customer that I was. Uh, rebuilding his three plus preamp for him and he asked me if it could be midi and so i asked kevin and kevin's like yeah i could i could poop that out uh, i'll give you a board tomorrow so so we he does have we do have a midi solution for the preamp so i went to the three plus users group and i just said hey if anybody's uh, interested in having theirs converted to midi for probably extremely reasonable price. Uh, of course, it's not MIDI controls, it's just MIDI channel switching. Yeah. But the thing I was surprised at is how many people contacted us and said, yes, 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 I, I want that. I'm like, really, you guys are still using this preamp? And and I think Bradshaw is gonna do another run of them. And I thought he said that he wasn't going to. So I guess it the stuff doesn't die. Uh, it's, it's still a glorious thing if you've got a good power amp and you got a three channel preamp but gosh there's a whole lot of pots on there <laughs> so that's yeah. why i think yeah. it it make more sense to have it programmable but but you got to do it in such a way that you don't dumb it down to get there yeah you know it, it it's i've been thinking about that it's like um you know would a preamp i mean if i did a preamp i'd i'd, I'd put irs in it now and, uh, you know, I would make it a more modern product that because there's so many people that are just running direct, you know, mm -hmm. and um, 
but it, it, of course it would operate like an old preamp or a new preamp, you know, like a new style. Um, I, I've been thinking about that a lot. I think it might, might be the right time to do it actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot of people are using racks now. Well, yeah. I mean, well, they, you know, they have axe effects and stuff that are rack mounted and they have, you know, like people that are tour or anything, they always have wireless units that are rack mounted. So there's always a rack of some sort. Um, as much as they try and get away from it. Yeah. Then the pedal boards become bigger than the old racks. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and who's to say, I mean, you could have a, a, a little two space rack that had your preamp with your IRs in it. And it has a stereo loop, let's say, in it, and you, you plug your pedal board into it, and that's your direct solution. Mm. Yeah, you know, my son does Kemper. And my son does it kind of like that. He's got an Axe FX2 that he just uses for time-based effects in his loop. And then he just runs his pedals in front. And it's really easy. Right. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of people do that. Um let's see. I think there was uh Joey Robin had an interesting uh, suggestion. A Dirty Shirley Deluxe, a twin sister with a buxom Betty Clean. Okay, I'm done. LOL. <laughs> Everyone has lots of lots of ideas, you know. Um, you know, the funny thing is the other Dirty Sh Shirley channel, though, gets you can get it icy clean. If you right. Um, it's not a, a deluxe per se, but yeah. You can come up with amp ideas for days. You know, it's just a question of what the market will be. Exactly. <laughs> uh, John McDonald, has anyone tried building 13 or 14 inch speakers? Amps and cabs have been ultra refined, but speakers have remained the same diameter. Just curious. Interesting question. Well, that would be like, you know, I, yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting question, right? You know, it's, it's like most bike. Bike wheels are uh, for bicycles are, are you know twenty inches twenty uh, twenty four twenty six twenty nine twenty nine as in recent years. Um, I don't know what's the point. <laughs> what 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 thirteen inch speaker? What is there? What's the reason? One more. One more. What's if it's one bigger or two less? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like trying to change the whole industry of what exactly. as, as my mother would say, you've made your bed now lie in it. Yeah. I mean, there's, I, I think that's something that, uh, it's hypothetical. Nobody's going to change the industry. There'd be a lot of tooling costs. Nobody's going to have to prove why it's superior. And yeah. I don't think, I don't think we're hurting for base response with the 12 inch. No, not at all. Okay. Uh, Adam Cave Project, thanks for the super chat. John, besides ZZ Top. Hi, Adam. Uh, you know, uh, what are the rest of your biggest musical influences, and do they affect your designs? And then the second question is, Dave, what are your biggest musical influences, and, and how do they affect your designs? I, I think what I like to play affects my designs. Um, in my whole life, you know, just, but I'm a huge Brian May fan. I never built myself a Brian May guitar, but my new signature kind of 
there's a little bit of that vibe in there intentionally. Um, uh, so the question was the, the people, the music or the people that I admire and how it affects my designs. Yeah. What are your biggest musical influences and do they affect your designs? My influences now, I, I actually listen to a lot less guitar than, than I used to. Um, I tend to like things that make me feel at peace now. Um, so that's not necessarily guitar orientated, but for my guitar listening, um, I would say I was, a, I was, I was an eighties, seventies and eighties child. So besides the typical things like Hendrix and Clapton and all that back in the day, uh, Leslie West was probably, um, old mountain was probably one of my favorite yeah. bands. And, and that probably is the reason I played juniors. Um, also, I um, Billy Gibbons, especially everything up to Trey's Hombres. I'm starting to appreciate some of the stuff that was more the uh, drum machine era, but uh, for most ZZ Top for me stops at Trey's Hombres. Um, you ever hear the? You ever hear the his solo record he did a few years ago? Yeah, it didn't with quite band with the, the, the unusual suspects. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, 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 he, 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 his tone changed at one yeah. point. And, and funny enough, that that to me was extremely. That was almost more important to me than the, what the guy was playing. Yeah. It, the the two the two most important things for me are the guy's vibrato, his phrasing. Okay, three things: vibrato, phrasing, and like his amp tone. You know what what it sounded like to me. And there's just there's that magic place of you know having all the right frequencies in the right places, and I do like high gain stuff too. So yeah, you know, I'd, I'd say things like um, the modern and this, the standard is my favorite guitar. Um, it, um, but you know, I really haven't, except for the Aura. I guess you could say that's a, a Billy Gibbons homage, but. In reality, my favorite Billy Gibbons era, I don't think he was even using that guitar that much. Like Trey's Hombres is probably my favorite. And I'm, I think most of that was Strat and Tellys or, or maybe just Strat but and small amps. But I, I don't, I think that the customer affects more what I build than what I like because I already, I already have what I like. So I'm, I, I don't, I'm not a wheeler dealer. I tend to hang on to my instruments and amps. So. Okay. Dave, what about you? Influencers for me. Oh my God. Um, Landau too. I, how could I forget Landau, Lukather, Neil Sean. Landau would be a great influence, but uh, um, I was a big, uh, so earlier artists, I was a huge Pete Townsend fan. I was a huge uh, Jimmy Page fan. Um, for sure, those two guys love that. There's a there's a, um, Rolling Stones I love, but for a totally different thing. Not so much for the the guitar playing, so to speak. But there was like this beautiful sloppy beautifulness to it, all of it. Um, then you know, I most of my teenage years were in the eighties, so. Then you would have obviously your 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 Van Halen, big influence. 
all those guitar greats at that time were an influence. Uh, you know, your George Lynch's, your Warren D. Martinis, your Jakey Lee's, all you know, Brad Gillis, Night Ranger, great, great guitar player. Mm -hmm. uh, but do they uh, influence your designs though, Dave? Absolutely, all of it influenced my designs. Mm -hmm. Uh, all those sounds because they they all had uh, you know, King's X, Ty Tabor, huge, too. Where's your uh, song stadium? Huh. I said, where's your solid state amp? I don't have, yeah, right. <laughs> um, all of that influenced my designs, but all of that kind of came from classic amps, so to speak. So Van Halen, you know, comes from a, a vintage plexi amp done a certain <laughs> way. Yes. Very act and cranked and at various times loaded down and, and some different things, but, but, all of the designs have roots in all these players, all the designs kind of because really what else are you going to root your designs in? You know, um, you, you, you are, people want to hear those great guitar players tones in your amplifiers. And, um, you're not reinventing the speaker so to speak, or the wheel here. You're, you're trying to make it uh, in a package that effectively makes it a more usable package. You know, like you're, you're it's like, oh, I, I want to be able to get that tone of 100 watt plexi cranked, but I want to get it down at bedroom volume, you know. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you have to, you're repackaging these classic sounds that everyone wants to hear. Same thing kind of goes with guitars too. I mean, people have certain ideas and, what a Les Paul sounds like or a, a Strat or um, a Tele. And you're you're creating a better mousetrap, basically, sort of. Um, so all of that affects everything. Yeah, every, every musical influence. And in still in product design, still, it's, it's... I like a lot of different things, though, all the way to, like, Americana-style sounds and, you know, like Tom Petty and... Mm. and things like that um i think you know going to work when i was 18 years old for andy brower studio rentals at the time and being thrown into this studio world with all this vintage gear and all this vintage stuff is irreplaceable um foundation for everything that i do now uh, because uh, there's so many people that don't know, you know, they have an idea what a blackface Fender sounds like, but they haven't really played a six, you know, a sixties blackface Fender, mm. or they have an idea what a plexi sounds like, but they haven't really played a real plexi or, and what era plexi is it a JTM 45 or is it a 50 or is it a hundred or is it a super lead spec or what is it? So, <clears throat> you know, that background of, of, that library of sounds in my head because I played all that stuff and I, I knew it intimately is, is a huge impact on what I wound up doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, I, I think for me too, I, I still, even though I'm probably never going to play out again, but uh, I, you know, for 15, 20 years of my life, that's how I made my living. So 
every day I would show up with a different amp to the gig. One day I'd come with a Vox, the next day I'd come with a 50-watt Marshall, then I'd come with a Galleon Kruger, then I'd come with a Lab Series, which, funny enough, Pete Thorne and I just rebought. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> and, and so every time I'd come to the gig, I'd have a different amp. I used to drive my sound guy crazy. So part of the, part of the thing in my brain right now is – it's like, you know, it's like this pedal board, you know, this pedal board's probably not going to leave my house, but I'm always thinking like, I've got to go do that gig. And yeah. if, if I was in a commercial band again, because that's what I did is I did, you know, club music. So if I was in a commercial band again, I had to get all those sounds. I used to have a Bradshaw rig and I did all that shit. So now I'm just like, how could I make it easier and do it smaller so I can, you know, play along with myself i guess <laughs> <laughs> you gotta hurry up yeah we gotta hurry up and finish the board for the gig right yeah that's right exactly <laughs> <laughs> then pete thorne goes just call him up and tell him you got you got this gig you gotta go do and i'm like like he's gonna know i'm lying <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome so that might work with you pete but not me um condor man Thank you for the super chat. John and Dave, what are your thoughts on the PRS MT15 amp? That's the Mark Tremonti signature amp. Never played it. I don't, Neither have I. I, I don't have any thoughts on it because I haven't played it. I don't pay any attention to it. I mean, I, I don't. I, is there is there an amp designer that works there? Oh, good question. Or is he a ghost builder? Or is or I think they have oh, a I wonder, who, I wonder who designed that stuff. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Uh, Abracus1, thank you for the super chat question for John. Do you plan on doing another run of Auras, and will you ever do a Les Paul Jr. double cut that you raved about on a previous Tone Talk? Yeah, we did talk about that one time before. Yeah, John. Well, <laughs> I don't know about a double cut. Double cuts, I, even though as much as I love them, um, they're problematic, and I'm sure I'd see some neck breaks. Um, but, and they're also kind of a dead spot nightmare. Um, anything with such a long neck is my, I've got an SG two, which is refretting right now, but I know it's got dead spots, but so I, I've got, um, let's put it this way. Um, the, I'm not going to say exactly what I'm doing, but I'm trying to do something that is more cost effective for more people and is maybe not quite as fancy. Uh, and a little bit more of something that I would probably take to the gig um, back in the day. So the, the scale length is not going to die, but it's it's going to morph into something else. I'm not going to do a production run of auras the way they are. So that much I can say. But there's definitely some exciting things that are going to be coming out that I am working on. Yeah, cool. Okay. Awesome. Um Todd Smith, does the brown box, thank you for the super chat, by the way, does the brown box work best for vintage amps or does it work well for both vintage and modern amps? Is it even worth using on a modern amp? Well, I mean, you're, you're, what's your wall voltage is the question. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, there's a lot of people uh, uh, that have wall voltage, uh, you know, in excess of 126 volts. That is harsh sounding to me it's over voltage on amps is just not very friendly sounding um tends to be bright and 
just not great. Yeah, I mean, personally, I kind of like it more around 117, just like a little under 120, just a touch, you know. Uh, uh, that seems to be a pretty good sweet spot. And I know that um, I know a few people like Steve Stevens and stuff you would always use a Variac with his amps that I that he has out. And he would set it around 117, a little less, just a tiny bit less, mm. you know, um, just because he found that to be the, kind of the sweet spot. Yeah, people got to, they have to remember that if you're increasing like five volts on your AC, it doesn't seem like that much, but um, that could easily be um, 25 volts DC increase or more on the amp and a lot of the amps that Dave and I design or that our customers use are running on the hairy edge. Anyway, we don't really want to see you putting, you know, getting more higher DC voltages inside the amp. Yeah. Um, like, like, like our 20 watt amps are, are kind of the power sections are kind of based off 20 watt marshals, you know? Um, and the, dissipation on the el84 power tubes is <laughs> kind of stupid um so if you have a 126 wall it's like you're gonna just cook cook stuff uh, i mean you're not gonna hurt the amp but i mean it's you know it's bad for the tubes the tubes are gonna start red plating it'd be better if it was you know a little bit less on that amp maybe even 10 volts less <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah for those guys i just say well get a get a variac and keep an eye on it i mean there's also voltage regulators but uh, i remember customers complaining that voltage regulators actually change their tone yeah they do so they they absolutely do uh, i mean i remember the, front, dance. the old ar 115 or whatever it was called yeah at at that stage when it was called that uh, it did change the tone. It was yeah. weird. You're like, you plug it in, you're like, ah, why does it sound so much worse? Hmm. Yeah, we, we had, um, when I was at Bradshaw's, was the guitar player for Brian Adams? Was it Keith Scott? Yeah, great guitar player. Yeah, and um, especially on his, on his amps were like takeoffs of vintage Vox-style designs. We put in one of those voltage regulators in his rig, and he just he called up screaming that everything changed. Yeah. And it, that's what it turned out to be. Right. So I, I, I don't know if it was me and I thought I had a wall problem. Um, I would, uh, I'd get a variac and just keep an eye on it. I mean, they, it's just mainly because they're, they're not that expensive. I think you can get a decent variac for around 120 bucks or something. Yeah. I just get the 10. Well, I, I use the 10 amp ones just cause I'm paranoid, but. Yeah, yeah. I but, mean, the, five, yeah, I mean, the five amp, the five amp ones with the voltage readout in the screen now, the digital voltage readout. That's like really great. So it's like what Mark has behind there. Mark has yeah. a a Variac, and but now it has a it does that doesn't have the digital readout, does it? No, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. Um, but I I run the brown box for the BE one hundred because my wall voltage voltage is like one twenty five. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I bring it down to like 115. I'll be and right back again. Sorry. No problem. Here's calling. Um, this is a question for you, John, actually, from Peter Lasis. Hi, Peter. 
Um, thanks for the super chat, Peter. John, did Mark Knopfler's Pensa Sir carve top with EMGs have a SPC? Peach yeah. Okay. Finish it. I'm sorry. He says Peach Guitars did a killer demo of your Sir MK model, and it had me wondering. And then any other cool Knopfler stories to share? Gosh, probably ones I shouldn't share. Um, <laughs> it, yes, it did have an SBC, also known as a fat control. Mm. But he didn't care to, to have a control for it. Uh, so I put it on a push-pull pot uh, set for full bore, you know, full blast. So he would just pull it up sometimes. Um I, I don't know if I have any uh, stories about him. Uh, you know, strangely enough, I haven't talked to him since I left New York. Uh, he kind of disappeared. Uh, he was a friend of Rudy's, and um, mm. it wasn't the most. Uh, it wasn't. Rudy didn't really want me to leave, so um, I don't know if Mark was disappointed that I left or whatever. But I was just following my passion. Yeah. Why? It, you know, I guess, I, you know, one funny story is uh, I worked with, I worked for, for Mark when he did infidels for Bob Dylan, he played and I think co-produced or did that record. And so that was quite an experience because uh, Mick Taylor was there. Um, Robbie and Sly were the rhythm section and it was just, it was, um, I had been in big studios during that period, but I had never been anything quite like this. You know, Neil Dorsman was the engineer and it was just, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun because there was, there were situations like where uh, I put the neck on Dylan's guitar. And so I rebuilt his Strat that he was playing for the session, but they didn't even have his volume up. It was pretty down low. But so, but occasionally other people could hear him. So they would tell me I needed to go tune his guitar, but they would say, but I go, okay. And they go, no, no, no. Yeah. Need to wait till he goes to the bathroom or something. And if you pass him in the hallway, don't look at him, look down, you know, don't make eye contact. And it was a similar kind of thing with, um, with the bass player, because I was like, oh, his bass is out. Do you want me to go tune it? Wouldn't any, they said, yeah, but uh, you need to make sure he doesn't see you tune it. Because it was just like his strings must have been like five years old. They were like flat wounds and they just sound like thud. So it's it was quite a challenge, but um, that was a great experience. And the other the other funny thing about that session is, is they were doing some overdubbing on Money for Nothing. And um, uh, Knopfler, uh, no, so Neil Dorsman, the engineer, you know, we're, I was sitting in the control room while they were all at the studio. So I was just there with Neil. And I, for one thing I said is, oh, this was on another song. I said, how do you know where the song starts and end? I'm, I'm mixing up two different sessions here, actually. But they were, I think they were both in the same studio. But hmm. on, the, on the Dylan one, they just kept the uh, tape rolling because they didn't know where a song was going to start and stop. But hmm. on the on the Money for Nothing sessions, which is the other session I worked uh, at the studio for Mark. Neil, uh, they, they were listening to the song Money for Nothing and kind of playing around with it. And I, I, Neil's like, this is terrible. He goes, he didn't like the song. And I said, I think this is going to be a hit. 
And he's like, yeah, nah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and and I, I talked to Neil probably three years later. I bumped into him in Soho. And I said, so um, you must be happy that the record was such a huge hit. And he goes, not really. I took the money, not the points. So, <laughs> so he, he could have. I think he kind of blew it, you know, because he was not expecting the, that album to be such a big hit. But other than that, um, Mark would come in and he would hang with Rudy. And um, his the guitar, the main guitar I built him was something I was actually building for myself. And that's the reason it had a Floyd on it, because Mark didn't really use the Floyds. He, uh, Whenever he had them, he had me lock them down. And um, people ask me things like, well, why did you put the humbucker in from the back? That was because Mark didn't like the color of the, the mounting rings because they didn't match the EMG cream. So I said, okay, I'll mount the pickup from the back. But I had already started that guitar for myself, and that's the reason I had a Floyd. And then Mark just said, well, I don't want the Floyd. And I said, okay, I'll. Rudy decided to give the guitar to Mark. I guess he rated more than me. But. <laughs> Uh, but, but I had a personal guitar that was similar to that, but it was a standard that had a, it didn't have the carved top, but it was all maple. And uh, that was my main guitar. And so I painted Mark's the same color. And then I also uh, did the same guitar for Peter Frampton because he really liked it. And Ed King too from Leonard Skinner. But Ed King got a uh, Poffero, solid Poffero neck. Hmm. It was uh, his, I think, uh, anniversary of his passing the other day, I think, for Ed King. Uh, He's a nice guy. What's that? They said he was a nice guy. That's what I hear. Uh, Christopher Butler, thanks for the super chat. John, on your HSH guitars, how do you have your five-way switch wired? Which coils live split in each position? Center single coil reverse, mag polarity, humbucking, position two, four, what treble bleed circuit? Well, that guitar, well, hum single hum, would not have an SSC in it typically. So I would auto split the pickups. And I always felt that the, the, the coil furthest away from the bridge is the one I want on. Um, every time I've ever tried to use the, the pickup closer to the bridge, I just thought it was too thin sounding. So I like, and, and funny enough is I built, when I built myself a uh, strats, even with EMGs, I used to swivel the bridge pickup straight across. So I don't like it too close to the bridge there. So I tend to go for the, what I call the neck coil of the bridge pickup, the one furthest away for the bridge, um, with the middle pickup. And then um, as far as a middle position, I always give people a choice. They could have both humbuckers. They could have the inside two coils. They could have any of that stuff. Um, then neck, of course, I would pick the, the, the pickup closest, the coil closest to the 12th fret would be the most accurate split position. As far as polarity goes, uh, it, it doesn't matter as long. This is something I was wondering if it would come up. When people, when you, you talk about most, common confusing people are confused by reverse wrap reverse polarity it's a common thing and they have to understand that reverse wrap reverse polarity means absolutely nothing unless you're comparing it to something else so as far as the polarity goes of course the the 
neck coil of the bridge pickup is going to be the active one. So that has to be reverse wrap, reverse polarity to the middle pickup if you're going to want hum canceling. And that's all you have to worry about. Uh, we we tend, if he's asking if ours will match something else, um, my bridge pickups are usually north top. And the way I look at that is uh, the top of the pickup is north um, and clockwise winding, which means that the uh, on a single coil, that means if you were looking at the pickup and you have the wires facing your body, uh, the black wire was usually the start wire would be on the left side that would be clockwise so if you've got those two things like you know you know the pickup is clockwise north if you want reverse wrap reverse polarity you need south counterclockwise if only one of those two things are opposite you're going to be out of phase mm -hmm. gotcha okay uh peter laces for the professional live musician, is the best way to leverage a Sir or Friedman amp when stage volume is an issue and in-ears are likely in use, a Sir reactive load or the Fryat power station? Are you going to the house? Is the best way to leverage a Sir or Friedman amp when stage volume is an issue? I mean, uh, the question is, the question is, are you allowed any stage volume? Right. If you, I mean, if you don't, uh, if you're not going to have any stage volume, just get John's load with the IRs in it and just go direct. Draw it a day. It's not great. Um, you could have some stage volume. I mean, you can also use my reactive load along with your speaker that. If you've got another eight ohm speaker and you use my reactive load, then you, if you run both in parallel on your speaker jacks, then you've got then you've got a four ohm load, and it will be effectively the same as running a half wattage amp. But the nice thing is is that the tone doesn't change, whereas a half wattage amp it will. Yeah. So you could you could get you know three uh, dB of SPL less, which is what you're going to get with comparing a hundred to a 50 watt. It's like having a speaker that you can't hear, you put it in a different room. So that is a real effective way to drop the volume. Uh, I think that the if you're looking to play at mouse fart volume and you've got a big amp and it's gotta be turned on, I think the power station is a good unit. Right. And and like I said, it's-, it's uh, The 100 watt one, the new one is really particularly good. Cool. Yeah, and it's and it's it it does have a but if you're gonna do IRs, I'm gonna have a different suggestion. I would say stick with ours. Yeah. Just... Right. Uh, Brian Griffin, the Sir Ace versus the Mike No Mo, mainly focused on sounds. P.S. I own both. Go. Um, uh... They're different though. <laughs> They're both they're both uh, cabinet emulator. They're both analog cabinet emulators. Is the mic demo yours, Dave? Yeah. Okay. Uh, they're both analog cabinet emulators. Uh, with with the Sir Ace, you have more control. There's no there's more options. There's more options. Um, I have kind of a fixed response, or with uh, two op two options basically. Two options, right? Straight and um, I don't know. I mean. 
the same results, sort of, just different, slightly different tones. I mean, I, I think a lot of that too, uh, whether the analog stuff works for someone, I think depends where you're going to use it too. Um, I, I think that the analog stuff and as also applies to short IRs, um, live, it's, it's all going to be pretty forgiving and work pretty well because you've got the room is those PA speakers blasting yeah. into that room is going to give you a great live sound. You're, you're not going to care if you're not going to want a distance mic, for instance, and then go to a PA. Yeah, no, it, it, that's, that's very true. I mean, you know, even if it, even if this uh, cabinet emulator box sounds really close, so to speak, you know, uh, if you're playing large rooms or even arenas, it, it kind of just, goes out the window it's yeah, just it's just like would work you you yeah well exactly it's well it's the same idea right it's yeah. that's a passive cabinet emulator also yeah. and i've heard plenty of times that sound really good um in big arenas with big you know it gets lost in big arenas you know yeah, you know that, that that is such a funny thing it's like you know there's, there's, I don't want to mention his name. Maybe he'll get pissed. But I went to see someone that I really like, and and he had a huge rig, and he's got all this stuff going on, and stereo, and blah blah blah, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't hear it. <laughs> it was like, yeah, was, this is this is Coliseum, you know? yeah, yeah, this is something I sort of tell people. I mean, he could have used one amp instead. He had six. In building rigs over the years, um, be right back. The subtleties of stuff that you're listening to, for in, in an arena, you don't hear any of it. You right. don't even know you have an effect on. Yeah, it's it's you like know, you don't know you have team. anything on. The only thing you're gonna hear in an arena is a pronounced, really pronounced tremolo. I mean, really pronounced, like choppy tremolo, or a, a phaser. You're going to hear that. You're going to hear an octave. You're going to hear, but the subtleties of the reverb trail, please. That is just for you in your in-ears or, or, or whatever, because no one is going to hear the difference on what you're using. Or that $500 PAF. Yeah, no one's going to hear. No, nothing, nothing, zero, nothing, zip. Um. Yeah, it's 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 lost in the large. It's actually lost. Mostly, it's for you. E even in a club, people aren't going to really know that you have uh, this reverb versus that reverb. It could be almost any reverb. Uh, it's really just for you. You might know when you're listening, but um, you know the subtleties are way lost. Way lost. <laughs> So what else we got here? Oh, you know what? While we're while we're here, Mark's gone. So other common things that I get asked. Um, oh, Mark's back. Well, go ahead. We got to stop talking about him. <laughs> uh, you know, here's a little primer uh, for you guys. Um, if you don't know this, because uh, I get asked this crazy amounts of times impedance cabinet impedances plugging multiple cabinets into an amp okay 
So here's the basic primer. Obviously, if you're plugging one cabinet into an amp, look at the amp, the, the cabinet, know what the impedance is, and set your amp accordingly to that impedance. Now, if for say you have two 16 ohm cabinets and you're going to both plug them into the amp, the load now that you need to set your amp for is 8 ohms. If you have two 8 ohm cabinets and you're going to plug them into your amplifier, the load that you're going to set the amplifier now is 4 ohms. It's if you put two impedances in parallel and by the way every amp i know of the speaker jacks are in parallel i've never heard of anyone putting a speaker jack in series so they're sometimes always parallel huh sometimes it'd be nice to have that option it might be nice to have that option but hey wait i have an i have a, a solution for that um so if you put two things in parallel, two impedances in parallel, it halves the impedance. So two 16 ohm cabs, eight. Two uh, eight ohm cabs, four. Two four ohm cabs, you can't do it. It's two. But <laughs> so you just can't do it. Um, well, you could with an SVT, but you're not, you're not these players. Um, now, if you have multiple different impedances, this is where it gets more complicated. So if you have a 16-ohm cab and an 8-ohm cab, what do I set my impedance to? You want to answer that, John? I'm sorry, what was that? I see you're not even listening. <laughs> it's like you're voting out. <laughs> so, a 16 and an 8? 16 and an 8 cab. Well, you'd set it for 8. eight I'm sorry, you'd set, it for, you'd set it for lower. You'd probably set it for, what, 4? Probably four because yeah. it's probably less than eight, so it's closer to four. Yeah. So whatever. So you know, if you had an, uh, well, sixteen and eight is the thing that seems to come up the most. So you'd set your amp for four, uh, and you'd be safe. So it just this this is this discussion comes up all the time. So I just wanted to put it out there just so people have it as a reference. Um, yeah, no, that's a common question for sure. Yeah. Um, I want to go through the super chats because we've got a lot that we still have to, and we only, you know, we're approaching the two hour mark. Uh, John, I just bought uh, an SSV after listening to all your sexy talk about magnet properties on a previous tone talk. Now I've got SSVs and two guitars and a set of V60s in my Strat. Nice work on those pickups. That was from Eric Miller. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. Uh, Matt Lipschitz, this may be a basic question, but how important are body tone woods? Now, that is a bit, that is a common question I think that's asked a lot. It's all the same, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but I do think that the neck matters more than the body. Um, but in, unless you do something extreme, um, they do they matter? Yeah, they matter. It's like you know, I can't stand it when people say that wood doesn't matter. It really does matter. Does it matter to you? That's a different story. Um, I'm the kind of guy that's OCD, and I used to take home a different pickup every night and put it in my guitar just before rehearsal. 
-hmm. And then in the middle of rehearsal, I'd figure out the pickup was wrong and I would rip it out and put the other one in while everybody else was drinking beers. I was changing, I had the soldering iron out. So for me, yeah, it does matter. I mean, uh, the, but I do think that the neck wood matters more. Um, the truss rod matters a lot. Body woods, I, I have generalizations. The, to me, alder has more mids than ash. Ash has, ash has a deep base and more highs. But if you don't have an amplifier or a rig that's going to let you hear that deep base, then you'll just hear the highs. So um, it, it does matter. And, and you can also um, sandwich things. Like I like bass with, with maple tops. Uh, Mark Knopfler's guitar, back to Pete Lasis, is was a um, mahogany body with a really thick maple top but it was a fairly thin guitar. But really what made it not sound like a Les Paul was the fact that it had a longer scale length. But the but the woods, I definitely would notice, matter. Um, but again, I think things like truss rods matter more. So there's just kind of, it's like, you know, if you, if you want a sweet, warm guitar, you shouldn't go out and make it out of all hard ash and, and put on an ebony fingerboard. I mean, I, I've had plenty right. of people. I've had plenty of people that said, "Well, I, I like the, the the way these woods look, so I don't care. This is what I want. I'm sure the ebony is going to work fine with a solid maple body." And it never fails. The guy could. This particular guy was a realtor, and he still came back two months later and goes, "Was like it's too bright." Mm. <laughs> I told you, right? So, yeah, like like the. Bodywoods for me, it's like, uh, yeah, hard ash is a very cutting, punchy, bright wood to me. Can be great in for certain things. Uh, alder is a very kind of, uh, I, I call it, I think it's my favorite wood because it's sort of middle of the road. It, 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 you can't it, go wrong. You can't kind of go wrong with it. It's not too much highs, not too much lows. It's kind of nice and even and it's. It's got good mids to it, but it's kind of punchy, but the you know, not not like swamp ash or something is more scoop sounding to me with bigger bass, bigger highs, like you say. Um, and uh, you know, I agree the maple top with a basswood body works great. Basswood has a whole sound, even if you have a whole body of all solid basswood. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, but it depends also, are you playing single coils? Are you playing humbuckers? Like basswood, solid basswood guitars with a humbucker sounds pretty cool for a rock tone. Um, Sweet. Coils, I don't, I'm not really a fan with single coils. Personally, I, st I still like Alder is one of, one of my favorite woods, so. I, I like the extremes. I mean, Leo kind of got it right. You know, he would usually do ash with maple. And, you know, I think maple necks are also a, another misconception where I don't find maple to be all that bright. I yeah, actually, it's rounder. I, yeah. I, it's got more mids than it, it. What really matters on the maple is how much finish is on it and what kind of finish it is, because you're listening to the finish more than you are than the wood. If you listen to a, a raw maple neck, it's just glorious. It's um, my favorite. Yeah. It's, in fact, when I used to build guitars to Steve Stevens back in New York, he would tell me, don't put a finish on it. He didn't want to oil on it. He didn't want nothing on it. Just yeah. raw maple. Yeah. 
and to him yeah. that was tone. You know, the, the it, that's funny. Um, I, I one of one of my guitars, I I had picked out a guitar, and there was two identical guitars. It was an Esquire kind of style uh, Friedman guitar, and uh, one had a rosewood neck, and one had a maple neck. And like, other than that, alder bodies, very just similar guitars. Um, but maple is rounder. Actually, yeah. it's not. The rosewood was brighter on the high highs. Yeah, it, it was like more present. Like if you if on an amp, a presence knob on an amp, it's like more presence. Brazilian. Uh, yeah, it's more presence. Um, it's not darker. Um, uh, to me, the maple sounded cooler because it was rounder, um, mm. not brighter. You know, when you make these choices on guitars, um, people like to focus on one or two things. Like, what does this pickup sound like? What does this bridge sound like? What does this body sound like? What does this neck sound like? And and again, I'll, I will say this point is that the type of truss rod in the neck is everything to me. But you can't look at any of these things in isolation. You you actually, I don't like to to give anybody advice on woods on guitar until I know what his whole rig is. You know, I want to know what speakers you're using, what cabinets you're using, what amp you're using. Of course, I do get thrown when they say I'm using an XFX or a Kemper. <laughs> then I'm like, okay, I don't know what to say. Mm. Um, but the, you know, all that stuff, it, it's like it's like cooking. It's, they're all spices, you know. So you can't, you can get away with an ebony fingerboard if you've got a basswood body and you're a legato player who uses a lot of high gain. That That's an Alan Holdsworth mm. guitar. You know, that's that's a... That's a great setup if you play like that and you play that kind of music. But I'm not if you want if you want to play if you want to sound like Steve Ray Vaughan, um, even though his guitar was Pa Farrell or his later guitar. I don't think I don't know if he ever played that guitar, but um, you know they wound up using Pa Farrell for that. And Pa Farrell I think can work really nice for overdrive and high gain, but it's not wouldn't be my first choice for single coils. If the guitar was going to be predominantly humbuckers and shred, but I needed some single coil tones, fine. That's, that'll work great. But if you want to sound like uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan on, his, on a good day or or a Landau thing, I, I, I would not say to put on an ebony fingerboard and use an ash body. It's just not going to get you there very easily. Right, right. Um, okay, let's move through these uh if we can. Patrick Carroll. Hey, Dave, big fan of Tone Talk. Curious if you could share what you modded. Share how what you modded El Jefe's Aaron Albeta's amp from NOFX. Do you recall what criteria he wanted? Oh, uh, his amp is just um, one of my early um, Marsha amps. So the beginning of doing Friedman basically um i don't think it's anything specific i i think it's just kind of my b channel and it was one of the early amps so okay uh we've got a super chat from Stuart rose did i mention the person patrick Carroll? yeah uh Stuart rose dave and john what are your thoughts on the marshall 2061 the 20 watt el84 lead in bass has it influenced your lower wattage british voice amps in any way Um, I don't know shit about it. 
So yeah. I guess it hasn't influenced me. <laughs> uh, the, the, the the original twenty. Oh, the, the original twenty watt. Yeah, the original twenty watts. So that the, my, I love those amps. Those are cool. Um, the power section of most of my twenty watt amps comes from that. Uh, the tubes are pushed beyond what they're really supposed to do particularly way beyond what they're supposed to do. Uh, um, uh, and surprisingly, the JJ EL84s kind of handle it, so to speak. Now, I've had people come up to me and say, you know, these these tubes red plate. I'm like going, well, wait a minute. Are the, the tubes getting cherry red or are they running away red plating? There's a difference. <laughs> Um, the tubes get a little bit red with used for long periods of time and, and, and that on those amps, that's normal. If a tube is crackling and shitting and, you know, running away and, and basically the amp will fail then, um, it's, it's not okay. No, the tubes are not okay, but, but yeah, the way that power section is run is really abusive on the tubes mm. but it really sounds good <laughs> so yeah and the, surprisingly I, I don't have that many problems I, I mean we use it that way and surprisingly there's not that many problems you know i i, I don't i don't use uh anything based on that amp but like the badger is doesn't really I don't think it has very much to do with that amp, but yeah. the fun, the, the funny story I have about that amp is, uh, I um, David Grissom is uh, he's he's kind of a customer, but there, before I knew him better, uh, I heard one of his songs called "Belly of the Beast," and if any, you can look it up on YouTube, and it is such an amazing sounding tune. His guitar playing is just phenomenal that I had to. Uh, Facebook message him and ask him what it was. And he said it was a 20 watt PA head, Marshall PA head and his strat. And that's all it was. And he did it in one take, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, it sounds different than everything else he does. If you listen to this belly of the beast, it's, it's unbelievable. I've worked on, I've worked on a few other crazy little 20 watt amps too, like sound city, little sound city, 20 watt amp. That they made the little tiny thing um, that is very similar to the Marshall 20 and, and, and just I plugged it in when it was done. I'm like, wow, that's great. <laughs> you know, like, you're just like, that sounds amazing. Well, isn't uh Fryette making a 20 watt? Sound city? Uh, I don't know. I, I am not sure the sound city. I'm not sure. No, yeah. no. It's, is it 20? I thought Maybe. he, I thought he was making a smaller wattage one, but I'm not sure. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, Maybe right. that's VHT. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not that. The <laughs> <laughs> new VHT. Uh, Alex, B, Alex, we actually already talked about this, but uh, can you guys speak to the general tonal differences between maple or rosewood fretboard on an alder versus ash guitar? Uh, I, I would say in general quick terms the the maple provided the finish is thin on the neck 
is going to have more mids and the rosewood is going to have more sizzle or presence. Yeah, I agree. But it's also the rosewood's also going to probably be a little warmer. I kind of like, I, to me, it's like the maple is a little more um, direct sounding, drier sounding on the bass notes, the bass strings, whereas the rosewood might bloom a little bit more. But it's it's that combination. For me personally, for years, I refused to make rosewood boards with ash bodies just because I thought it was a bit much. But yeah. There's plenty of people who love it. It's I think it's as long as you know what you're getting. Like if you know you're getting ebony on that maple body, just you know know what it's going to do. Mm -hmm. uh, purposeful porpoise. Hey guys, how do you know if a speaker ca speaker cable is faulty? I bent mine recently behind my amp. Should I get a new one? Is there a way to measure them to test them? Replace it. Just replace it. Get get a new cable or put a new end on it. Yeah, I mean, you can test it with a cable tester, uh, so to speak, kind of, maybe. But that might not tell you the whole story. If you're going to test it, make sure you move it around a lot. And, and that's another thing, too. It's like not not with guitar cable, uh, speaker cables, but I'm sure Dave has run into this. And a lot of people out there who are making your own cables, and if you're using mo things like Mogami that has the electrostatic shield on it, make sure you peel that inner black jacket off. If that touches your tip, you've got like a resistance to ground. It's just going to make your whole rig sound Poop. dull. Unless Poop. you're using EMGs, then it's going to sound fine because it's yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, the other thing that comes up all the time uh, in emails is um, – so I'm having a buzz with my amp. Okay. Here's the first thing to do. Strip it down to just a speaker cable into the cabinet. Nothing in the loop. Nothing even in the input jack. Okay. Turn the amp on. Turn it on the overdrive channel. If the buzz has magically disappeared now, it's not your amp. Um, it's something external. So if you plug a guitar into your amplifier then and you go, oh, I'm getting buzz. Turn your guitar volume off. Do you not get the buzz now? Okay. This is EMF. This is, this is the room you're in. This is your pickups picking up the EMF from the room you're in. This can vary from place to place, house to house, studio to studio. If you're too close to your amplifier, your guitar is going to buzz and hum or and or squeal if you're cranking your amp. Let's say you're cranking your Plexi into John Sir's load. Stay the hell away from the amp because if you get close to it, it's going to squeal. If you, you know, it's, if you're if close to the load and the amp, it's going to squeal like a mother. You need to back away a little bit. Um if you have buzz, here's another thing. Never use a one-spot wall wart for anything because they have a buzz in them. They're a horrible wall wart. Not their big power supplies. Their big pedal board power supplies are great. They work really well. But the wall wart is horrible. If you have a one-spot, throw it away. Just throw it away. If you need a wall wart that does the same thing, 
buy a, a boss PSA nine volt DC power supply that's readily available everywhere. That one is a switching power supply that is quiet. It works fine. It will work perfectly. Um, also, if you keep something on top of your amp. Also, yes. Also, if you're if you have something in the loop of your amplifier and you're setting it on top of the power transformer of the amp, it's going to hum. Don't set the pedal on top of your amp. And if you do, set it on the input side of the amp at least. <laughs> don't don't set it towards the power switch side of the amp. Um on on some of my amps, the power sec the power uh the loop is post preamp but with a wide open uh power amp return. So it will amplify anything, any other little fault that you have with your pedal board. So, in other words, if your pedals are sitting on top of a Voodoo Lab uh, power supply, for instance, like right on top of them, it will pick up, because it's a pedal level loop, there's a lot of return gain, it will pick up the hum from the pedals sitting on top of this power supply. The way around that is get a better, newer power supply that's a switch mode power supply, uh, such as a, uh, a Friedman or a... Uh, uh, chalks dc7 or a uh strymon or a voodoo lab or not voodoo lab um dunlop iso brick uh, or there's a new voodoo lab power supply coming out that is a an uh, uh switch mode power supply also or the um or the um the sorry <laughs> Or, or the uh, uh, tone, uh, the the um, the power supply I just said that was horrible. <laughs> the uh, anyway, never mind. One spot, one spot. Thank you. The one spot uh, CS twelve or CS seven work really well, also. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, water. I don't remember stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. another funny thing with people looking for buzz it's happened to me more than once that speaker cables these days look like guitar cables back in the old days they looked like lamp cord now they look like guitar cables i've had more than one customer including pros accidentally use speaker cables for their guitar cable that will buzz also people yeah so be careful yeah hmm. Yeah, that could be a problem. Uh, Waterford Giant, thanks for the super chat. Going to buy a Friedman amp mini combo, deciding which one, not any to play in Phoenix stores. Can I email questions for recommendations? Yeah, sure. Email me at friedmanamps at gmail.com. You'll right. get me. Cool. Uh, James Maurer, Dave and John, how hard is it to wire in a MIDI controller into an existing amp without it? What are the challenges of putting MIDI into your own amps? I would have to say to do what? Um, if you're just doing channel switching, uh, we've got a new box that you don't need to worry about that. You just buy the box for $99, I think it is. Um, It'll, it'll switch however you want with controllers. It'll actually even do tap tempos and all kinds of things. But it's it's not worth it to install MIDI into an amp for switching because there's so many other ways to get there. Um, if you're talking about 
MIDI programmability, that's a major deal. And that's, uh, yeah. that, that is uh, a lot of work. Like you cannot retrofit an amp to be MIDI programmable. No, absolutely not. But putting switching in it is doable. In fact, like I said before, we've got, uh, my son is kind of just working on a little project where he's going to offer for people that have three plus preamps to turn them into MIDI switching. So that way he can, you know, you can do your boost and your three channels with that. That that's work actually, I think he's actually trying to make that. If you can drill the holes in your chassis, you can put it in and solder a little bit, two wires to solder as well, three wires to solder. This question is for you, John from Jay. Thanks for the super chat. Hi, John. Can you expand on what you meant by the truss rod being important to the sound of a guitar? Great show. Thanks. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, you know, mo most of what we, we learn in this business, we learn just because things happen and you take notice. And I went through a very frustrating period back in the 80s where I was using somebody to make nicks for me. And they happened to use a uh, truss rod that was a dual action truss rod and it had two pieces of metal in it. And so it was basically a folded rod. And so I kind of went nuts building. Uh, prior to this, I was using old Schecter parts. Uh, when Schecter went out of business, we bought all their inventory of necks. And the necks were never finished, so they didn't have frets in them, and the back shapes were very rough. And those guitars that I built with those necks were, were beautiful. That's, um, you know, it's a lot of guitars I made with those necks. They were mostly 21 fret. On Framptons, I actually added the 22nd fret by replacing the rosewood on the end of the board. You couldn't tell. But, so because he just said, I wanted 22. And I said, OK, I'll make it work. But the after that period, when Tom Anderson, then we started using Tom Anderson to cut our raw necks and bodies. And then I would go ahead and fret them and shape them and, and paint them. Then after that, um, Tom decided that he was going to uh, do his own guitar thing, and he wasn't going to sell parts anymore. So I looked for somebody else, and I found a company who's uh, still out there. I don't want to name them because the, they're a good company, and they make great stuff, and not everything they do is this truss rod. But this one particular truss rod was folded, and it was dual acting, and I couldn't figure out why the next five guitars, or maybe it was four guitars I made, just not guitars I would want to own. The strings sounded old when they were brand new. And the only thing that had changed on these was the necks. And the necks had an oil finish on them from the manufacturer. So the next batch, I just kind of got superstitious. You know, maybe I'm waterlogging the neck or something. So I decided to um, get the next batch without oil on the necks. That didn't matter. They still sounded like the strings were dead, brand new. I got frustrated, and so I took one of the necks off, and I tapped on it, you know, just knocked, held it by the, the end of the headstock and knocked on it, and it sounded like dud, just very thud. And then I picked up one of my old necks, and it just had a ring. It had a tap tone to it. You could figure out what note it was ringing at. You could really hear it. So I called that company and I said, uh, and at the time, I don't think they were doing vintage truss rods. 
So I said, could you make me a vintage truss rod? I said, it sounds different to me. And so he did. He wasn't excited about doing it, but he, he did it and he sent me some and they sounded great. Only thing difference was the truss rod. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say if if you pick a neck, if you if you can take your neck off the body, which isn't it's not a luxury we all have, but if you can take the neck off the body and tap on it, it it should be musical. It should have something going on. If it sounds like cork or it just sounds dead, chances are your guitar is not going to vibrate and I know everybody says, well, but it's electric. You know, isn't it all about the pickups? And yes and no. The string, the pickup is picking up what the string is doing. And if the string isn't vibrating, then it, the wood is still going to affect the sound of your electric guitar, even though it's all coming out of a pickup. Right. So the, that, that was my point about the neck is that, and I've also noticed that necks sound different. I mean, big necks sound different. No truss rod necks sound amazing. Um, but would you tell on a track? No. But the player might notice it if he had two tellies and one was a, you know, a no truss rod, no caster or something. And you can, you can hear the difference. It's going to ring better. So it's the less interference you have in there, the better. And that's the reason we use vintage truss rods in our necks, because I'm superstitious about that experience. Interesting. Now, funny enough, I do use a different style of rod in our base. And it sounds great, but that's one of the first things I did is tap on the neck after it's built. So if, if your neck sounds like it's got good resonance, then I wouldn't worry about your truss rod. But if something's bothering you, like the strings always sound like they're old or dead, then uh, if, if you have the luxury of taking the neck off on tap and tapping on it, try it. Okay, cool. Um, we're going to wrap up soon. Um Let's see, uh, John Bingham. What's up, John? He says, "Hey, Dave, do you use, do you use baking soda to keep your tubes fresh?" <laughs> well, John, John, this is specifically for you. <laughs> uh, that's too funny. Um, I know that there were a couple other common questions that maybe we want to get to. Um, Stainless steel frets versus nickel. You want to attack oh. that real fast? Um, gosh. You know, it's it's one of those things I don't have an opinion on because I use them both on different guitars. Um, I would say if you're building a modern guitar and you don't like fret wear and you take care of your guitar, go ahead and put stainless in there. It feels... The thing I love about stainless is you never feel like you're shaving material off your fret while you're bending. It's like, you know, if if anybody out there is like, like when I would sit there and try and learn a song, you know, for the club gig or something, you're constantly going over and over and over and bending and bending and bending. You start to feel your fret shave away. And that's kind of a disturbing feeling because you know that you're removing material because you are. Uh, but with stainless, it doesn't, um, you don't get that feeling. And um, so it always feels like glass. The, I, I don't, if I'm on the auras, people say, well, why did you choose nickel silvers for the auras? Well, because I didn't want that to be something that anybody could possibly say, well, it 
doesn't sound like I envisioned it because I hear this ping from the stainless. Yeah. It's I think with stainless, and I just refretted my own SG um, this weekend and last weekend, and, it, and I put in nickel silver. The but I've got moderns that have stainless steel. So I would say that if you're going to go for a vintage instrument, like you want to build a killer Strat or a Tele or, you know, it's, it's personal preference. But personally, if I'm trying to go for a vintage thing, I'm going to choose the vintage materials, and that would be nickel silver. Um, I don't have a heavy left hand, though. So there are some guys that, rip apart their frets and they really need stainless and they rip through stainless. Those people I would probably say, just try and lighten up on the left hand. Um, but I don't, I don't know, you know, they're both great. Uh, I, I more customers get stainless than nickel silver by far, hmm. but I, I don't get into the tone argument because I kind of think once I plug it in, it's not a big deal. But if I put stainless steel on a Les Paul, there's something that feels. Yeah. I just I, think it's necessary. I agree. But, but on like if, if if it's a modern guitar with a Floyd Rose and it's a shred caster or whatever, and you want real low action and you just always want to feel like you're playing on glass, then stainless are wonderful. The one thing to watch out for stainless is that, and I was actually talking to both of you guys before, is that if you get a micro nick in the fret, you will not polish it out by bending the string like just by doing fret bends like you can with nickel silver and like you can just take the g string if you pull it up off your neck by one inch and you drop it and let that g string smack against your fret you will actually put a micro ding in that in that stainless steel wire and the only way to get it out is to sand it out with super fine like real small micron paper but uh but if you take care of your neck, you use your fret protector, um, then stainless are great. But yeah, I, 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 people ask me which one. I say, well, what do you, what do you, again, it's one of those things. What's the rest of your system? What kind of music do you play? You know, mm -hmm. if you're playing through a modeler and you get tons of gain, you're never going to hear the difference anyway. So then I would just say, choose what you like the feel of. Or, you know, I obviously I have the luxury of being able to um, fret my own instruments whenever I want, even though it does cost me a few days. But the if I was gigging and um, I would probably use stainless because I'm going to wear through frets quicker and I don't want to you don't want to continually replace your frets in your neck because I've seen plenty of guitars get damaged and refrets. Mm -hmm. Ruined. Were there any other um, common questions, frequently asked questions, John, you wanted to cover? Well, I, I do have a couple things. I thought I'd share um, probably the biggest the thing I go over all the time, and I actually have my wife's guitar here. <laughs> this is my wife's guitar. Oh, very oh, nice. nice. See, it's got no frets. Oh wow! <laughs> no. <laughs> so I I just wanted to tell people what. Funny enough, this one's got a brass nut. Huh? Because she says I brass balls. So what you what you? No, I actually like the brass nuts because oh, this one's got a broke. No, it doesn't. Um, I like it because they never wear, and 
I um, like to cut my nut really, really low because the lower you get it here, then you can have lower action. You can, you, yeah. then if you drop it here, you can raise it at the bridge and then you still wind up great playability. But I just wanted to tell people that this is what every guitar I'll pick up, there's first things I'll do. Everybody says, how do you adjust the neck? How do you know what's straight? Um, you can buy a feeler gauge. We had our machinists make us feeler gauges that have that point that have a point that sits here and a point that sits like here. And in the middle, there is a caliper that rides to the fingerboard. Stuart McDonald, I think, makes uh, sells a short version of that, but it's too short. It's only like from here to here. So the easiest way I say is is you push at the let's say it's kind of like coordination here. Which way is which? So you push at the first fret with like, you know, your, your first finger. And then you put your thumb like somewhere where the, the string meets the body or where the neck meets the body. And then you stretch as far as you can in the middle of that. And you basically tap the string to the fret so you can look. You, it gives you an easier visual to see how close the string is to the fret. So you can just pick it up and you just kind of go like, and you, you can, you can kind of hear it, you know? So if I can hear something, then I know I've got some kind of gap there and you can walk across a neck and you can check every string. It can be a little bit of an indicator if you've got a, a twist, but so that's the first thing I do. And that gap you want to see in that middle area there when you're pressing. So you're basically using the string as a straight edge. So that gap you want to see in between the top of the fret and the and the string, the space in between, should be about half the width of your high E string. Your high E string, let's say, is a 10, so maybe five thousandths. So just end. a tiny bit of relief. Hmm? So just a tiny bit of relief. You know what? You can have almost nothing as long as you have something. Yeah. The problem, the problem with um with making the, the neck really dead straight is that if it back bows at all, it's going to buzz. It's yeah. going to buzz down here like crazy. Yeah. So if you're the kind of guy that doesn't mind having a wrench out and adjusting it before the gig, go ahead and set up your guitars really straight. Um, most guys um, don't do that. So we like to give them a little bit more relief. Like maybe we give it like seven or eight thousandths. And that way, if the neck moves at all, it gives them a little bit of, of yeah, I generally like a little tiny relief in there for yeah. sure. So the other thing after that, the next thing I'll do is I'll push on the third fret and I'll tap the, the string to the first fret. Like this one, I can see I could get that lower and you can walk across. So you the, the distance in between the string and the first fret, you've got to have something. It can be extremely small. It can be almost not visible, but there has to be something or that means that your nut is lower than your first fret. So it's going to buzz open. So what you do there is you just walk across. Now, if you find that that your strings could be lower, your nut could be lower here, there's another thing you can do is you can you can press at the first fret and look, just visually look at the 12th fret and see how much your string moves. If your string moves a lot, your nut's probably high. So it, it can it can be where you almost don't see any extra movement over there. And the key for me too, and for you, I know, is 
the nut height is like the key to a great feeling guitar. Yeah. Uh, if it's too high, it'll always feel awkward. Just like. Yeah. But funny not, enough, not there, right. there are guys who actually have that preference. Landau actually likes his nut a little higher. And it used to be difficult for me because once you cut it too low. Yeah. You can't go back. You don't really want to shim it. It's <laughs> not for Mike Landau. Yeah. So after I do that, so now I know I've got a straight neck and I know my nut is not too low. The other thing you can do for tuning stability is try and lift the string. Like I'll take, go back here and I'll slide up and lift the, the B string, let's say straight up out of the nut slot. If, if you've got a guitar that is a tremolo or even any guitar, you don't want to feel any pinching. You have to be able to lift the string straight up. And you can do that with each string under tension. The only one you're not going to be able to do it with is maybe the low E, but I can do it with this one. And so I can see that there's no binding and that's going to help your tuning stability. After you've got all that dialed in, so then you know you're good. Then you basically, I don't have a ruler here, but you can put, I put my ruler behind the string, but I do it at the, the last fret. So I'll put it behind the string if this were a ruler. And like our factory setup would be one sixteenth of an inch in between the top of the last fret and the bottom of the string. However, I do press down at the first fret because I want to take that out of the picture. Mm -hmm. So we so I saw if the nut was totally down as low as it could be, the same height as the first fret, then I would measure for a sixteenth, you know, behind there. And from there, I would tell people. After that, it's his personal preference. You're going to find out where you like it to be. It might be a 16th. It might be, you know, a 32nd more, a 64th more, or who knows what. So then you've got your basic action set up. So you've got your nut. You've got your, your neck relief done. You've got your nut is good, and it's the height you want. You've got your action set. Then what you got to do is you got to make sure that your pickups are adjusted. And one thing I like to do is I like to make sure that the bridge pickup, for me personally, I bring it up as close as I can get it until it gets in my way. If it's too bright or too aggressive or too sharp, I will lower it. But other than that, I will bring it up where, where I, it's just not in my way. And I will always have the high strings higher, the, the pickup closer to the high strings than the bass strings because it's obvious they're thicker strings. So the, the skinnier strings are going to not, give you as much output. Mm -hmm. The other thing people do by a mistake is they raise the neck pickup too much to get too close to the strings. That's going to throw out your intonation, especially if it's a single coil where your magnets are your pull pieces. Humbuckers, you can bring them up closer. But the other problem there is that the, the string vibrates so much more here than it does here. I mean, you can see that just when you hit a string. So obviously this is going to be louder. So if you got the two pickups and they're set at the same height off the string, the neck pickup's going to be louder. And pickup adjusting for a pickup output is not going to compensate for that. I mean, we've we, there's things we can do with adjusting for hotter and quieter pickups, but you have to go to pretty far extremes to make up for how much more that string is vibrating over the neck pickup than it is over the bridge pickup. Mm -hmm. But once I got my pickup height done and it's not too close to the strings, and the reason I say that is because that will throw out the intonation. Then I will do the intonation. 
And when I do the intonation, I don't use open string. I fret, I fret like at a G and then I'll play a G. You know, I'll, I'll fret the G an octave difference. That way the nut is out of the picture. Mm-hmm. And that's important to me. So I'll intonate everything like from the G and sometimes I'll go higher, you know, with the, with the automatic tuners, it doesn't matter where you go. It's going to tell you whether you're in tune on the 20th fret or the whatever it's, you can use that. And cause the higher you go, it's more like fine tuning. So if you do like um, open string and 12th fret, you're going to get it close. But if you do like a G string, if you do like a, they were trying to bring me food. If you do like G, G string and then you go way up here, you know, find another note that you can intonate to. It's going to, and then you go back to the 12th fret, you're going to find the 12th fret still in. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, moving up the neck, provided you've got an accurate scale length, which is another big if, because a lot of companies and a lot of the big companies use gang saw fret slaughters, which are not nearly as accurate as cutting the slots individually on a CNC. But if your fret, if your scale length is accurate, you're going to find that's that's right there. I just told you a hundred dollars setup, and right. that's what that's what your repair guy is going to do for a hundred dollars. And I think that everybody should be able to do this themselves. Well, that's what you think your repair guy is going to do for a hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably lucky if he's going to go through that. Yeah, I mean that that might not be the case. <laughs> well, that's great advice, John. Thank you. That's what you would have done back in the day when you were doing all the repairs and stuff. Well, yeah, and actually, I would, I would, uh, I think we used to charge like seventy five dollars for a setup. I'd do the intonation, and I would adjust the nut if it needed to be recut or opened up a little bit or dropped. And, um, but yeah, so that that's like that's like one of the most basic things I go through day after day. Um, yeah, that's great. Good, good, really good tips. That's yeah. great for everyone. Yeah, that's and you can do, people go, what tools do I need? You don't, All you need is your truss rod wrench and your Allen wrenches. That's all you need. You, you can, once you get used to that gap, you can um, you can just visualize it pretty easy. And, and you're going to be comfortable with, this is where I like it to be. That's awesome. Right. And if you find that your nut is too low or it's too high and it needs to be fixed and you don't know how to do it, then bring it to your guitar tech. Yeah. Yeah. Because the the other reason I was going to say that the reason I take the uh, nut out of the equation when doing the intonation is because if um, the angle that the string goes over the nut, it has to go down, you know, behind the headstock a little bit preferably at very close to the angle that it naturally goes to the gear. Um, If for some reason that angle is not correct, there's a chance that the string will not be leaving the nut at the edge of the nut, which is where it needs to be. And that will throw out your intonation. So you could be doing your intonation based upon a, a false premise. If you, if you take that intonation if you if you do the intonation separate from the nut and then you hit the open string and the open string is is off then you know it's the nut right it's either the nut placement or it's the way the nut is cut interesting also also like i remember when i was taught intonation um when i was young uh how you hold the guitar and how you're intonating you oh can't, yeah 
you can't intonate the guitar flat on a bench. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. You to, ideally, ideally, it needs to be intonated the way you hold the guitar. Yeah. I mean, like if you if you really get individualistic on a player, it's really how does he sit with his guitar all the time? Because sitting upright, sitting laid back a little bit, sitting flat on the bench will all skew the intonation. The only the only other thing I had my service guys wanted me to bring up because they get this question a lot is is besides what Dave was talking about with impedances, um, impedances and other parts of your chain. There's a real simple, easy rule that we all learned, and it's just like if you're not dealing with transformer coupled stuff, and and you don't need to match impedances. If you're just looking, well, this is the output impedance of my device, and which input do I plug it into? Do I plug it into a line input? I mean, do I plug it into uh, an input that's designed for line inputs or low impedance, or do I design put it into an instrument input? The rule of thumb is is if you go, if you stay with 10 times, you're not going to lose anything to speak of. Uh, so if your device has a 1K output impedance, make sure it's seeing at least a 10K impedance of whatever it's going into. And we've got two things here. And this, this topic comes up a lot because we've got two reactive loads. One has balanced line drivers on it and is low impedance. And the other one has a transformer output which is not super low. It's probably more around, depends, it'll depend on where the, the level is, but it's usually around three to 4K. So the old reactive load really wants to see something that is 10 times higher than that. So I would probably say, you know, go into something, you know, 50K or higher would be ideal. So I usually tell people with the old reactive load to use an instrument input. And then the, but the new one is a balanced line drivers and they're both independent. So the IR output and the regular output are both have their, both their own independent drivers that will go just fine. It's a 600 ohm output and it's balanced. I recommend you use TRS cable, tip ring sleeve, um, and just go into your uh, line input of your, you know, an interface like an Apollo or whatever. Um, the, the other thing is, as I tell people, don't use a direct box. There's there's no reason to, no and don't plug into a mic input. If you've got, if, if you're playing live and um, they've only got XLR on their snake, make a cable, make an XLR to TRS and plug that in or get an adapter, you know, but don't plug into a mic box. Mics, mic inputs are usually around 3.3K input impedance. And they, they, the mic inputs on your DAW are designed to boost your level much higher than you ever need it to be. So um, don't plug into mic inputs for these interface stuff. And, and the problem is, is a lot of devices like a, um, I think I've got one in my drawer, like the, um, uh, the Apple, what was that? Uh, that was a... Uh, Apogee, the the app, the old Apple interface. Well, but a lot of them work that way. Is they have combo jacks, and if you plug an XLR into the combo jack, it automatically switches to mic. Mm. So you don't want to do that for those interfaces. You want to use a quarter inch or TRS into those interfaces, and make sure you go into your settings and set it for line level, or you know that should be fine. Or it could be instrument on the first one, like I said. But there's no reason to use instrument on the new one. 
And and this goes for pedals too. Like Dave and I were talking about my pedal board is that, you know, what vi- I get, I get this question asked a lot, you know, what volume pedal impedance do I need? Well, it depends what's driving it. If you always have a buffer on, then you, you want to use a keyboard volume or a low impedance volume pedal. But if you're plugging your guitar straight into it and they're not EMGs, then you need a high, high impedance pedal. Right. Very important. You, you actually have to pay attention, but then, but then, for instance, like in a rig um, that you have multiple loops and you have different pedals in. So if you have a say a phase ninety pedal, it doesn't want to drive that low impedance volume pedal properly. Mm. Uh, if you have, you know, it depends on what the pedal is. Well, yeah, so some pedals- ideally, ideally there'd be a buffer right before the volume pedal, so you always yeah. know exactly what the volume pedal is seeing, you know? Yeah, a lot, a lot of the pedals out there have a pot right on their output. So yeah. even even though the, the pedal uh, by nature is a buffer, if that buffer is feeding a 50K pot, you're not 600 ohms anymore no. or 100 ohms anymore. You, you've increased your output impedance. Yeah. And to Dave's point is then you might need to rebuffer your signal because one of those pedals could have screwed it up. There you have it. This is such great information, guys. <laughs> I mean, seriously. And, and I still don't feel we've touched on even close to what, what people have asked us. I know. I don't I don't think we, we even we answered. Three hours, <laughs> and we haven't even touched on what people have asked us. Yeah. there's. I'm sure that we could do a whole other uh, part, too. Um, <laughs> so, John, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Really appreciate it. No uh, problem. You're you're always welcome. Do a follow up. I feel bad. I, did anybody pay that needs a question answered? No, we have to, we've gotten through all of them, um, and uh, we, we we can do a follow up. Why not? Yeah, let's do a part two. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of fun. It's just, you know, it's just stuff we haven't covered or stuff we didn't get to. You know, it's it's like none of us are doing a whole lot of activities these days. Yeah, so come <laughs> come back on, John, for a part two. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Awesome. awesome. And uh, we also just so every, please go to Sweetwater, guys. Uh, the link that we provide. Um, check out the gear that they have. It helps out the channel. We get uh, a little commission if you buy something there. So it really helps out the channel and us. Um, let me tell you about the next guest that we've got. Uh, August 28th, we've got uh, Jordan Ziff from Rat. And then September 11th is Tosin Abasi. September 18th, 18th is Misha Mansour. And then October 2nd is Steve Lukather again, part two. I love him. Yeah, he, <laughs> he, he was my hero. He's fun. He was <laughs> awesome. Hey, you know, I just wanted to say one guy here asked a question I could tell him in two seconds. He said, is there an SSC2 kit that I could install on an older S4 model? Since that is our model, we will do a retrofit of our SSC into our guitars. We just don't do it for other guitars. Sorry. Oh, no problem. No problem. Uh, Dave Wiener is October 9th. And then Martin from Victory Amps is October 30th. Cool. Um, I feel like I'm missing somebody there, but, um, but yeah, so guys, make sure you click subscribe on Rusty Anderson yet. Oh yeah. Rusty Anderson. That's right. Um, still waiting on the confirmation with him. Okay. He's coming people. 
Yeah, Rusty Anderson from, from Bone Carter Carter. How about Brian? Brian Ray. Brian, Brian would be another guy to have on also. Yeah. Whenever I've got Les Paul questions, it's like I asked Brian, is I said, is, is this a correct cherry burst? And he goes, Well, here's mine. Sends me a picture of his fifth, I think it's a 59 or 60. Yeah, Brian's got the reference. Great guitars. All right. Well, everybody have a great weekend, John. Thank you. We'll right. do a part two. We'll do a part two and think of more common questions that come up. Um, everybody, great weekend. John, just hang on one second while I hang up. <laughs>